How do you like that opening cut, huh? That's from my bud, my good bud, Greg Arcade up there in the great state of Canada. That's called Ride the Rising Sun. You can get that at gregarcade.com. And also, it's also on his YouTubing's channel. Um, and he does a morning radio show. He's been doing that. So if you want to check that out. So that was Greg Arcade. Pretty, good, pretty awesome, huh? Good way to start this show since we're going to be talking about the Cherokee creation, uh, the Cherokee creation story. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So thank you all for joining me. I am coming live from uh, Beecher, Wisconsin. I'm your Beecher Preacher. You are listening to the Nazi Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. And I am Marty Leeds, your teacher of the mysteries and preacher of the heart. Today's going to be fun, guys. Today's going to be good. Those that don't watch this video are not going to know what they missed. They'd be like, oh, I don't have, I don't, they're going to, they're going to see this. They're going to be like, uh, Cherokee, I, I get, isn't Kanye on right now? It wasn't Kanye on Alex Jones. I've, I got to put my attention and focus on that. Those people are going to miss out and that's okay. You guys won't because this is going to be awesome. Uh, have I talked it up enough yet? It's going to be good. Uh, welcome to the Nazi Church Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. We do service every Sunday, 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. You guys know the deal. Thank you all for being here this morning. It's great to see the lovely people um, Carla, welcome. Hello from Canada. JV, Andrew Masonette, Cat Links, Angers, Angers, my brother, Anar Farms, welcome. Hey, good to see you. Deborah Stille, The Styles, Julie Pradal, Broken Bear, Eric C. Uh, welcome all. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Uh, my, my bud Chase over there, Spaghetti Western Music, yes. Uh, my, Ch my brother Chase over there at Interforce Podcast. Welcome, my brother. Uh, <clears throat> this is brought to you by Content Safe. Content Safe is the company that's hit me on all these other channels and stuff like that. In fact, BitChute's up and running right now. Rumble's up and running. Odyssey, I think, is the next. We are live on YouTube and Rockfin, and you can get this podcast at all the other places, you know, like, you know, the, the Apple Music and all those other Spotify and stuff. You can also get this at this uh, show, this broadcast, this church service at uh, on the Flat Earth, Sun, and Moon Zodiac app. Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app. You can get that. And so uh, there's the app. That's Dave Weiss's app. It's a great little app for all you people that want to get um, people hip to our flat stationary Earth. And the Sunday sermons are on there. So, um, yeah, you can get it there. And then also, once again, I'm all snotty this morning. Uh, I'm also doing the uh, One Day of Brightness with the lovely Lindsay. Uh, we're doing that on December 18th. And we're going to be talking about the winter solstice. And so I'm going to be doing about an hour and a half uh, talking about the winter solstice and then about a half hour worth of questions, 45 minutes worth of questions, something like that. Um, <laughs> morning chance or chase. Yeah. I always get it. I always get it. His name is actually chase. Now we're completely, you know, it's a, it's a Mandela effect is what it is. But anyway, I'm going to be talking about the, um, uh, winter solstice and it's going to be really good. Then we're doing some questions and I'm really looking forward to this. I've already got some of that together and it's going to be great. Um, also working on, I am about four, three, four and a half, no, 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 three and a half, maybe four chapters away from this baby being done, and that is my next book called Scripture in the Stars. And guys, it's going to be tasty. It's going to be a delicious morsel. Uh, Jennifer has actually proofread, I don't know, maybe 20 some, 22 chapters, three chapters thus far, and she's approved. Um, uh, the ch chapters are really short, like five, between three to ten pages, most of them or whatever. So it's really great. You can just sort of pick it up. You can get exactly, you know, basically making the star correlation, explaining the story, and that's it. Don't elaborate. There's hardly any math in this thing. And it's going to be about maybe 170, 50, 80 pages, something like that. And then in the back, there's going to be a whole reference of star, all the constellations, like the list of 88 constellations, their, some of their etymology, that sort of stuff. It'll be an excellent reference manual for, for those of you that are interested in learning some of the stuff that we're going to learn today. 
um, uh, looking at the Cherokee. So it's going to be great. So here's some of the chapters. In fact, I just finished John and James, the, son of, the Sons of Thunder, the Beheading of St. John, the Miraculous Draw of Fishes, Jonah and the Whale, Jacob and Esau, and Cain and Abel. So those are the last ones that I finished. And then I'm doing just a few more, and this baby's done. So, and then it'll be on to the next one, whatever that is. So, all right, before we get going, I just want to say a few thank yous. Thank you to everybody that shows up every Sunday. It's so great to see all you guys. Um, I, I love, yeah, Rockin' Greg. Yeah, it's a great tune, huh? He loved that intro cut. I don't know. So fantastic. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be good. Deborah Stiles. The Stille. It's going to be awesome. Um, thanks to all the people that show up here every Sunday. It's always great to see you guys. Um, thanks for the plug. Of course, I plug it every Sunday. You got to love Dave's app. You go, go get Dave's app. It's on my site, too. Um, so if you guys, if you want to get the app, app through the site, you can get it there too. It's great. It's in, in all seriousness. I like to, I love to give Dave a lot of shit because it's just my relationship with Dave, but it's, he's doing a fantastic thing with that app. He really is, you know? Um, so good on him. So anyway, thank you to Mark Brotherson, Truth Seeker, Lucy Short, Eric C, Lin, Heather Lindsay, Jeremy Hines, Deborah Stille, Carrie Musgrave, Ruth Scott, Cody Van Dyke, uh, JM Grassi, Kodiak 85, uh, Jackie Traverson, Cameron Keene. Uh, Alan Woodward, Virginia Murray, Robert Bruce, and then of course we have uh, who's who's always here, just killing it. You know what I'm talking about. Thank you, brother. Uh, always appreciate that. All right, so let's start off with a prayer. We're gonna do a Cherokee blessing. May the warm winds of heaven blow softly upon your house. May the Great Spirit bless all who enter there. May your moccasins make happy tracks in many snows, and may the rainbow always touch your shoulder. May the sun bring you new energy by day. May the moon softly restore you by night. May the rain wash away your worries. May the breeze blow new strength into your being. May you walk gently through the world and know its beauty all the days of your life. Amen. So, okay. That's a good way to start this. So today we are going to do um, the Cherokee creation story. So we're going to talk a bunch about the Cherokee. And what we're going to see is a lot of the stuff, not even a lot, like a whole bunch of the stuff that we've been covering in relationship to the Holy Bible. <clears throat> so many of the things that we talk about within the Holy Bible, we're relating them directly to star study, right? We're, we're relating them to astro, uh, astrology, astrotheology. It's in a sort of an umbrella term. And so the characters, that sort of stuff, that's what the whole next book is about. That is what, just so you guys know, that is what my tradition, it's not just special boy Marty Leeds over here that's doing this. My tradition has been doing for millennia, for however long, you know, many, many moons, let's just say that, is relating the stories, um, well, all of the great uh, mythologies to the stories of the stars. This has been a common theme. Um, and as we're going to see today, the same thing that we're doing with this here, the Holy Bible, we're going to see that the Cherokee were doing with their stories, with their with their religious tales and things like that. They're pointing to the stars specifically. And what we're going to see is they're pointing to the exact same thing. And so this is really um, the same places, the same themes, same ideas, because as we know, uh, this is going to be an extension of what we've been talking about lately, and that is the Prisca Theologia. There is only one God, and there's only one creation story, and there's only one cosmology, and there's only one religion, and there's only one spiritual directive that God has given us. And that's it. And man, all of these different civilizations, these different cultures all across the world, and all these different places geographically, and all these different time frames, they've all come to, or I shouldn't say all, but the, all the great traditions have come to this truth. 
And they've expressed it in their own unique ways, in their own sort of nuances, their own cultural pretenses. Is that the word? Cultural nuances. I don't know if that's the word. But you know what I'm saying. Their own unique ways. And ultimately, when we get past the exoteric and we get to the esoteric, we get to the true meat and potatoes, what we're going to see is these cultures were talking about the exact same thing. Why? Because as we know, once again, the Prisca Theologia, the universal mystery religion is what I call it. There is only one God. And all of these cultures that came to this God were worshiping the same thing. And this is what we're going we're gonna to show today. Um, and this is why I harp on, all, especially especially the Christian faith about, you know, being the special boy. It's like, oh, we've got the one thing, it's our thing. As, we're, as we've shown and as I'm showing the books and stuff like that, I hate to say this, but most of these people have no clue. They're as we're going to see, they're rejecting pagans and, and people of the earth and native savage. Like, they're rejecting their theologies and their belief systems having no idea that they're completely in alignment with what we learn in about the Holy Bible. So that's what we're going to do today. So uh, the Prisca Theologia is what we're going to talk about. Inherent within nature itself exists what may be termed a universal mystery religion, or what is anciently referred to as the Prisca Theologia. The Prisca Theologia asserts that a single true theology exists, which threads all the religions, and which was anciently given by God to humans. God has given everyone the exact same spiritual decree. His commandment is writ large within the fabric of creation itself. We actually go to the, the classroom of the world itself to learn about God. And God, through his own creation, instructs us about, his, about what he wants of us. Um, and this is what this book is actually all about. This book here is trying to get you to understand what's going on out here. Now, unfortunately, most Christians get stuck in a book and then they want to reject any correlation that they can make to this to out there. And I guess we'll just see how that plays out for them in their salvation, huh? I guess we'll see, huh? So anyway, um, 33, 33, what's going on here? That's a lot of threes. Mark Brotherson, Illuminati. Thank you, brother. Thank you, my brother, son, Mark. Thank you. So, um... This theology is one that's centered on the cycle of life itself. It's centered around nature itself, okay? So, um, and it's most notably based around the sun, and we'll see that. Now, I, I think we all know that we can't really trust the history that we've been taught about what goes on with the Native Americans and what's happened and who they were and, you know, what that sort of thing. We all know that that history has been completely convoluted. We also know that when, because we do know that there were Native tribes that were, you know, pushed all around and they were kicked off their lands and stuff like that. There's, you know, that sort of thing. We, we understand that. Um, so we know that their secret knowledge was not just going to be openly given to the quote-unquote white man. The, any, 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 whoever it was, the Europeans that were settling here, their secret knowledge, their occultic knowledge that was held by their upper tribes, their shamans, their, you know, the chiefs, whatever, they weren't just going to openly give their secrets to a bunch of white men. So the only thing we could do is take the... the, the artifacts of history that we have left with the Cherokee, look at them and try to pick up the pieces the best we can. And that's what we're going to do today. Okay. So we don't know the ins and outs of all the, uh, all the secrets of their, of the different, you know, religions and things like that, spiritual doctrines of the, the, the natives, because they were never going to give it to the white men. Let's just say that. But what we're going to see when we sort of, once again, look past the exoteric and go into the esoteric, we're going to see that the Cherokee we're focused on the exact same, literally the exact same things that we are talking about in the Bible. Pointing to the exact same places in the sky, pointing to the exact same constellations. And we'll, we'll, we'll see this. And it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. So, um, 
So the Cherokee Nation is is pretty big. It's it's actually a huge. I mean, I think there's 100 more than 141,000 Cherokee residents are still in the reservations today. So there's a lot of people. It says more than 430,000 tribal citizens worldwide. So so the according to once again, this is all just lore. It's all legend. It's all myth. The the history of these people. Not not only did they not actually write down history books because they were probably smart enough to realize that. History, once you write it down, it isn't actually history. It's, it's just still a perspective. Somebody that wrote that shit down. So they didn't have a history as written down, right? They had tales. They had myths. They had stories. That's how they kept their culture, their cultural traditions alive, through stories. Um, according to tribal history, Cherokee people have existed since time immemorial. They don't even know where, you know where they started, that sort of thing. So, been around a long time. Um, it's recommend, it's uh, recorded that first Europeans came in contact 1540. And that is of around that time period is when obviously the new world was being discovered. I don't know what happened before that's probably some sort of I don't know reset of some sort. Who knows? Um, but something happened. So uh, Allison Flynn, thirteen ninety nine. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. So um, da, 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 I just I'm just gonna go over a few things here. They a lot of a lot of the Cherokee actually when the missionaries Christian missionaries came in a lot of them actually intermarried. That it wasn't forced. Um, and like, I know this to be true that it wasn't just like the natives were not all forced to, to be, you know, intermingle or intermarry within whites and things like that. Because I mean, I have family lineage in which the Menominee Indian, she, you know, uh, voluntarily married a French interpreter that worked at the Mayo Clinic. It wasn't like they were, the white man came and forced these people to marry. So, I mean, to, to say this in short, there's like a huge history that's really convoluted that we can obviously not pick apart. Um, and so we're not going to try to do that today. Um, so just, you know, just so you know. So um, here's a map of allegedly where the Cherokee were. Um, of course, once again, did they even have maps? Here's, uh, once again, here's some Cherokee pictures. Once again, who knows how legit this is. There, there, there was this one, and he was actually hired by J.P. Morgan, and he was he was sent out. He was given like $75,000 back in the day to go and actually take pictures of Native Americans, and he actually went around and like dressed them up and stuff like this, so it wasn't even sometimes their traditional garb, and so it was all sort of a big scam. So a lot of these pictures you can't necessarily take to the bank, as you will, but just so you know, this is some of the traditional garb that they, they wore that I found on the internets. Uh, the Cherokee, before I get into this, just a few, just a quick rundown. The Cherokee did have a syllabary. Um, apparently this was created in roughly the 1800s or something like that, that before they didn't have a written language. And then all of a sudden they, just as most of these people did, just like they did in Hawaii, read a book of, about that, um, East of Eden, I think is what it's called. Voices of Eden. Part, I've read part of that book where they talked about how when they came over to Hawaii, they started, you know, they didn't have a written language. So they started listening to the phonemes, the, the phenomes, the, the phonetics of their language. And they started using the characters of Latin, you know, Germanic alphabet or whatever, and put it to the phonetics of, of the tribes there. And that's how they developed their language. So something similar happened here. They had their own newspaper. In fact, I was just on the National Archives last night picking through this. I just want to show you a few things. The Cherokee Nation, before we get into this, Cherokee Nation has a flag and its symbol is, uh, it's focused on the number seven and it's representative of the seven, uh, seven tribes, seven clans of the Cherokee Nation. And we're going to see that there's a huge focus on the number seven within the Cherokee creation story. And with it, basically their whole, their whole tradition is focused around the number seven. Um, so you can see that. 
and then there's a symbol, another symbol. It's basically like a, a heart in the center there, and it like spreads out. This is, of course, a dream catcher to the seven points. Uh, lots of sevens. The Cherokee flag at the center is a seven-pointed star, which represents the seven clans. Uh, the bird, wild, wild potato, blue wolf, uh, deer, long hair, and paint clans. And um, it's literally the seal of the Cherokee nation. And so here's your seven seven clans. So they so in other words, the this entire nation of people that was like you know obviously more than hundred thousand that it is today. Back in the Dizay, they enti their entire the entire structure of their civilization was based on the number seven. They split their clans up in the number seven. Okay. So the Cherokee Nation symbol, Cherokee National symbol, is a seven pointed star. Each point represents one of the tribes. Um, of course, the, the, star, the star is said to reference the Cherokee's undying fire and passion. Um, seven-pointed, yeah, seven-pointed star. Um, uh, I think that's all I wanted to say about this. Sorry, I just want to go over a little bit of the background of them. Okay, so the Cherokee sacred numbers. So we already have, what do we got going on here from Ben Krupa and Stella? Grateful for this village. Thank you so much, Stella. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. And Ben Krupa. So Cherokee sacred numbers. So the Cherokee had sacred numbers. Okay, and this is what we'll get we'll get into this. Okay, the numbers four and seven recur in Cherokee stories, rituals, and political arrangements. In the Cherokee cosmology, thank you, Carol K. Huri, fifteen. Thank you very much. Twenty-seven ninety-nine. Thank you so much. In the Cherokee cosmology, the Earth. Listen, here's this is where we get into the good stuff. So the numbers four and the number seven. Recurring Cherokee stories, rituals, and political arrangements. In the Cherokee cosmology, the earth is suspended from the heavens by four cords. So in the Cherokee cosmology, there's a heaven up there, and the earth down here is suspended by four cords, which correspond to the four cardinal directions, north, south, east, and west. Hence, one of the reasons why four is so important. Four is actually a sacred number in most traditions because you have the four seasons, the four cardinal directions, the four corners of the earth, that sort of thing. In addition, the Cherokee recognized three other directions, up, down, and center, which is where you are, um, and then the four cardinal directions. So that comes together to seven. There are seven clans in the Cherokee nation. And then it says this, the Cherokee believe that the number seven also symbolizes a level of purity that few can attain. So this number, according to the Cherokee, seems to be the exact same, has the exact same uh, theme, element, idea that that this number has across the world. You remember when we talked about how Jesus cast out the seven devils from Mary and then she became pure? You know how we talked about before how there's like, in Kundalini, there's like seven chakras and you go through a process of lifting those up and purifying the self all the way through. For some reason, this is all focused on a number. And the Cherokee thought the same thing. Four and seven, by the way, both lead to your hands. The numbers four and the number seven both lead to your hands. The number four is found, speaking of holy, O holy, holy, to tractus that which contains the root and source of the ever-flowing creation, first starts with the whole pure unity and then comes to the all-encompassing four or whatever, the key holder of all. The Pythagoreans had a prayer to the number four, the tractus. It's literally just a triangle. It's like one, two, three, four. Why? Well, when you add one plus two plus three plus four, you get 10. So in other words, the fourth triangular number is 10. So four naturally 
literally just by adding through leads you to 10. So the Cherokee's focused on the number four. Well, literally the geometry of you know, unfolding that in a triangle leads you to 10. And then they focused on the number seven. Well, what's the number seven? Well, one plus two plus three plus four plus five plus six plus seven equals 28. One plus two plus three plus four plus five plus six plus seven equals 28. What is that? It's the, it's the phalanges of your two hands. So here the Cherokee were focused on these two numbers, four and seven. And literally, just by triangulating those two numbers, one, two, three, four, 10. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 28. I wonder why the Cherokee focused on that. Where did the Cherokee, did the Cherokees have to go to a, a book? Did they have to go to a book? Did they have to go to their pastor down in the street to, figure, to, to know that the, the number seven is sacred? Did they have to go and ask the church fathers if the number seven was sacred? And it's like, well, we heard the number seven is sacred. Is it church fathers? Yes, it is. Okay, that it is. So the Cherokee, where did they get their information? They got it from nature. They got it from the creation itself. They understood, just like all of these cultures, they get their theology from the creation itself. The creation, the, the, you know, the world is a classroom. The creation teaches and that's what's happening right here. That's how they, that's, you know, natural. They just look down and could count. Oh, that makes sense. Why is seven focused? Once again, this is something we talk about all the time. Why seven? You can say, well, seven colors of the rainbow or, you know, up, down, left, right, forward, reverse, resting on seven. Yes, okay, cool. That's, that's fine. But seven is put right in front of you. The triangulation of that number. Then you go across the world and all these different religions, quote unquote, different religions, that everybody seems to want to fight about. Even Christianity has different denominations that fight with one another, which is beyond retarded, pardon my language, beyond retarded. But where did they get their, what, how did all these cultures come to the fact that seven is somehow sacred and important? They looked at themselves. They knew themselves. They knew what was right in front of them. And then they said, oh, God, we must be made in this great spirit, this great, you know, creator's image. There's the Cherokee seven, uh, seven tribes, seven clans, and then they got that big bird there with a cross in the center, and then the seven on each on each wing. You guys see that? So there's a big bird. It's a good bird, baby. This is a good good bird. <laughs> it's a good bird. <laughs> so that's an inside joke between my wife and I. Um, so it's a gum bard. And then, so they held this bird, uh, you know, anyway, and then it has a cross on it and it's got seven. So, um, so traditional ways and beliefs hold place in everyday life for many Cherokee Indians. Order is valued. Order, structure, design is valued, not chaos, in other words. And certain numbers hold special meaning. You mean just like every other culture? For example, the number four represents the cardinal directions with the number seven associated with the seven dimensions of the world. So they had, the Cherokee had a cosmology and this is how they explain their cosmology. You ready? So they said there's an upper world, like a heaven, and then there's a lower world, like a hell. And then, then there's a middle world, like a center world. Right? So, and then plus the four compass directions. So top, bottom, middle, east, north, east, west, and south. What is that? Total seven. Um, spirit animals, 
animals of the spirit, spiritual animals. We'll get back to this, okay? There are spiritual animals. They're not real animals. They're not physical animals. They're metaphysical animals. Pay attention. Metaphysical animals like the owl can traverse the upper world and the center inhabited by man. There are seven Cherokee clans, once again, and that follow the maternal line of kinship. Um, so in, in their creation story, in the Cherokee creation story, there was seven days. There was seven. The traditional Cherokee people respect the owl and the cougar because they were the only animals able to stay awake and look after the earth during the seven days of creation. <laughs> so, I mean, how in the world did a bunch of savage, you know, dot, no, no, not dot, fe feather-wearing Indians come to the exact same conclusion that the Hebrews in a, in a desert that way. How? How did they come to the same conclusions? They didn't have the church fathers. They didn't have the... They didn't have the... <laughs> you see how stupid this is? It's mind-blowing. Freaking mind-blowing. So how did they... How did they come to the conclusion that the earth was created in seven days? <laughs> Sorry. The Cherokee, here, listen to this. The Cherokee revere the great spirit, um, Unit, uh, Unit Lanvi, whatever. I don't know how you say that. And it's literally the creator. And they are called the great spirit. Now, we know the spirit, spirit in Latin means to breathe. It's breath. So just like the, the spirit that hovered over the waters in the beginning of creation, right? That was the breath of God that's hovering over the waters of creation. That breath was actually existed before the God said, let there be light. It's, it, you know, so there's like, you know, breath over the waters. Then God said, let there be light. So the first thing is this breath of God that exists, right? One of the first things. And we have this breath everywhere. The breath, the air that we breathe is the spirit of God. This is what people don't know. So some people think it's like, I have the spirit of God, but that person, uh, you, apparently you can't look up definitions of words. No, everybody's breathing the same spirit. There is only one spirit because there's only one God and there's only one cosmology. There's only one religion. There's only one spiritual directive. And every single one of these cultures that came to these universalities understood this God. When somebody comes along and plays special boy, as we see the Hebrews and the modern Christians doing with their religion, what they're doing is they're severing the connection that we have with our ancient ancestors. They're severing the link, the golden thread that connects us to all of these different cultures. They're separating and saying, mine, 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 me, 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 special boy. I'm the special boy. We at the Gnostic Church of Academy, we say nonsense to that. Why? Because we can count to seven. So this great spirit who presides over all things, he's this great spirit, the Unitlanvi, whatever, is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Wait a second. Wait a second. What's going on here? We've heard that one before. So there's three characteristics of this God that become one. Interesting. Interesting. I'm, there's a theme developing here. Can you hear it? Can you see it? Can you smell it? Can you like, you know, you can feel it on the wind? Oh, there it is. So the point is, is that this is where religions come from, guys. Okay? Religions come from people who go into the creation itself and recognize the order, recognize the design, recognize the symbols, the literally the living lights in the sky, the sun, the moon, that are telling a grand story 
about who you are, where you are, where you come from, that knowledge comes directly from source. Directly from source. That's where it comes from. That's where these Shlomos got it. So anybody that goes and tries to take possession of this stuff are possessed. They're possessed. You don't own it. It's not, it doesn't belong to you. God's given it to every single human being in all these different cultures. When once again, you get past that exoteric veil, you will see the exact same things. And that's what we're going to uncover today. Cherokee. Now, of course, it's all, all of these things are couched in once again, their own like cultural nuances and, and, you know, the, the, the lens in which they see the world. Right. So obviously the Cherokee were more, you know, like uh, in this sense, Oh, natural, right? They were more organic, if you will, right? So when they went and tried to um, explain the stars or give meaning to, the, not give meaning to the stars, but, you know, name a constellation, something like that, obviously they're going to use like beaver or buffalo or whatever, right? That's going to be different, but you're still going to be focused on the exact same patterns, the exact same designs, the exact same places in the sky, and the exact same symbols, as we'll see. The earth, the Cherokee creation story. The earth is, is a great island floating in a sea of water. Wait a second. I've heard that one before. It's like straight out of Genesis. And suspended at each of the four cardinal points by a cord hanging down from the sky vault. There's a sky. There's a vault over the sky. And on the four corners, just like there's like, oh, the, the earth was like propped up by like four elephants or there's like four pillars, right? Couched in, once again, different symbolism, but all telling the exact same story. Literally the exact same story. Four cardinal points by a cord hanging down from a sky vault, which is of solid rock. When they say that the sky vault is like a crystalline dome. When the world grows old, after a time period of ages, think about this, and worn out, the people will die and the cords will break. And the earth will sink down into an ocean. You mean like a flood? You mean like a deluge? What's going on here? So after a time period, after a certain age or an eon, when the world grows old, the people will die because the cords will break and the earth will sink down into the ocean and the ocean will rise and there will be a deluge and we'll all be water again. Thank you, Marty. My 10-year-old daughter and I love these services. Your 10-year-old daughter should not be watching that because I curse too much, Jason. I'll work on that since I know your daughter's watching. I'm working on it, my brother. When the world grows old and worn out, etc., right, etc. So, and um, the Indians are afraid of this. You mean just like all those tales that were told before about the great deluge? So, they tell you that the Cherokee cosmology tradition includes a conception of the universe being composed of three distinct connected worlds, the upper world, the underworld, which are the domains of the spirits, spirits that live in eternal life and spirits that don't, and then this world where humans live, where humans are tasked with whether, where we get to go with through our life, how moral, how virtuous, how, you know, repentant we are, how, uh, that sort of thing. How, how, how much, you know, did we lift that, lift the hand out to somebody when they needed a hand? How many, how do, did you educate when people were ignorant? Did you, you know, did you lead somebody to light when they were in the darkness? Like you, our life is tasked with these, um, you know, moral challenges and stuff like this. This is the playing ground in which we, which we get to decide where we're going in this sense, right? This cosmology, this general theme, right? Of cosmology is shared around the world. <clears throat> there's an arch at the top, a sky vault. There's four corners there's an underworld, there's an upper world. The Norse, this is literally straight out of Norse shit, dude. It's literally the same, sorry, Jason. 
poop. <laughs> so, it's literally the same thing, right? Yeah, so of course it's got this whole Mayan look to it and there's they got the Mayan glyphs and stuff like that. Still the same earth though, correct? Cultures around the world understood these basics. Now what's so funny is that you have a bunch of self-righteous, fanatical, literalist, fundamentalist Christians today that are like, I got the right thing. My boy is the right thing. And I, my interpretation and what the, this tradition tells me is the right thing. And that tradition didn't even, wasn't even consistent about their own cosmology. Most of the people in that tradition, meaning contemporary Christianity, a lot of them are still on a ball. That means you couldn't even hold the tradition together that told you where you were. Me meaning that that tradition that you're relying on to get you into, that has, I have the faith in this tradition and this, this is going to get me salvation, correct? This tradition didn't even get what you were standing on, correct? But you think that they got the rest of this right? Think about it. They couldn't even keep... God's cosmology, as it's written large in here, they couldn't even keep that. They're like, well, maybe science is better than this thing. You know, the pseudoscience and scientism. Think about that. But yet they're going to lead you home to eternal life? They don't even know where you are. So here's what all of these different cultures around the world said. Basically the same stuff. Some upper up there, lower down there, we're in a flat plane. It's four corners. This is a dome. It's an arch. Same thing. When all was water, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The first thing is waters. I forgot to put this in here. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Waters in the beginning. Hopi. The world was endless space in which only existed the Creator. The world had not time, no shape, no life, except only in the mind of the Creator. The Creator uh, instructed him to gather the waters from the endless space. Hopi. Maori, all humans descended from one pair of ancestors named Rangi and Papa, which are called heaven and earth. In those days, heaven and earth clung closely together and all was darkness um, before the water. Cherokee, the earth began as nothing but water and darkness. Apache, in the beginning there was nothing, no water, no living beings, there was only darkness, water, and cyclone, the wind, the wind, the breath. How? The, wait a second, that's Apache. They didn't know anything about the Bible. What's going on here? Huh. I wonder how they figured this shit out. India, in the beginning there was absolutely nothing. As the Creator moved about in worship, water was generated. Babylonia, in the beginning neither was heaven nor earth. Apsu, the god of fresh waters, and Tiamat, the goddess of salt oceans. There was water. Wichita, in the beginning there was nothing, sun, nor stars, nor anything else that we know today. For a long time, there was, uh, the Creator of the world, he created land and water. Those Islamic, those, do you not, do not those who disbelieve see that the heavens and earth were closed up? We have opened them. And we have made of water every living thing. Egyptian, the world has arisen out of the lifeless waters of chaos called none. <clears throat> I think you get the point. 
How did all of these cultures that were completely disparate, that had no connection to one another whatsoever, all come up with literally the exact same cosmology? In the beginning, there was nothing, darkness, waters, there was a cyclone over the wind. What's going on here? It's because God speaks through, God can speak to every single human being. God does not need a book like this to speak to you, in other words. These cultures all came to these things because they're available to anybody that wants to go find them. Anybody that wants to actually pursue truth, God has made that truth available all throughout his creation. When all was water, the animals were above in Gulenlati, which is heaven. Gulenlati, right? Beyond the arch. There was a big arch, but it was very much crowded. There was a lot of dude, there was a lot of animals up there. So there's a bunch of animals, metaphysical animals above an arch. Zodiac? They wondered what was below the water. So there was waters up there. So just like was uh well, it, you know, let me just say this. Sorry, let me go on here. Uh they wondered what was below the water. Um at last Dian C, whatever, the beaver's grandchild, the little water beetle, offered to go and see if he could learn. So he so then he's like, I'm gonna go see what's up. Down there, I'm going to go and see the water. And he darted in every direction over the surface of the water. He darted in every direction over the surface of the water. What's he doing? This is a creation story. Think about what the water beetle is doing here. He's creating dimensionality. He's going in every single direction over the surface of the water to make point A and point B and point C, etc. But could find no firm place to rest. Then it divided, oh, excuse me, then it dived to the bottom and came up with some soft mud, which began to grow and spread on every side until it became, became the island which we call Earth. After that, it was fastened to the sky with four cords. But no one remembers who did this. So now you have a, 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 a plane, a, a plane that was, they went down into the, these animals, went down into the ocean and brought up some mud, some dirt, and started to make dry land. And this is a common theme you'll actually find throughout a bunch of different native cultures and stuff like that this notion that the beaver went down or you know went down and brought up some land and next thing you know the earth was formed once again this is a native american i um ex, uh, explanation of what's going on in the beginning of creation it's no different than saying and god said let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear as and it was so so in other words genesis once again Go past the Hebrew, go past the Cherokee, go past the Hindu, go past the Maori, go past the Celtic, go past all of it. Get to the meat, get to the core, get to the origin of the thing. What's going on here? It's a bunch of water, dry land appears. Okay, so one person is saying that it's like God commanded these animals to do it in the metaphysical realms, or it's just in Genesis, God just let the dry land appear. What is, what, what ultimately what's happening though? The same creation story. The, same, the exact same creation story. When all was water, <clears throat> the animals were above in heaven, Gulen, uh, Galunlati, whatever, beyond the arch. It was very, very crowded, so they wanted to go down and see, right? This is, this is what's known as um, Zootheism, right? And it's actually, as we're going to see, it's actually what we're talking about in when the Bible relates these characters to constellations in the sky, which is obviously they're in the sky. Um, this is what they're doing, right? They're relating these characters to celestial metaphysical animals. The religion of the Cherokees, like that of most of our Northern American tribes, is because this is what they call it, zootheism or animal worship, okay? Um, Hecostatheism or the worship of all things tangible in the beginnings of a higher system in which the elements, oh my God. Can you get that? Oh my God, that's annoying. <clears throat> 
Who's calling? Oh. So, um, sorry. Uh, Zootheism is the animal worship, right? Their pantheon includes gods in the heaven above, on the earth beneath, and in the waters under the earth. Their pantheon includes gods in the heaven above, on the earth beneath, and in the waters under the earth. So there's waters above and waters below. That's literally what they're saying. But of these animals, gods constitute by far the most numerous class, although the element, elemental gods are important. So the gods constitute, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of these quote-unquote animal gods, right? But the elemental gods, meaning fire, water, earth, are, are more important, is basically what they're saying. But what they're saying is essentially they're basing their understanding of the, um, of the, the, the what do I want to say? Oh my God. The attributes of God's creation through the symbolism of the animal. Hence why we did the Symbolism 101 talking about the symbolism of animals. How to extract the natural symbolism from it. So here you have waters of creation. Literally the exact same thing. They're telling you there's a firmament. They're telling you there's waters above and they're telling you there's waters below. Which means that that water is divided. There's waters under the firmament and there's waters below the firmament. Then it goes on to say, and God said, let the you know let them divide the lights for sanity thanks marty thank you eric c yeah we need it in this world <sighs> yeah the living waters yes um so there's that how many we got watching here 135 hey that's good jesus equals 27 uh has five letters five times 27 is 135 did you never mind i'm not gonna go into that so this is what we're talking about zooism here zooism that's why it's called the zodiac so it's Latin, zodiacus from, from the Greek, zodiacos, kyklos, which means circle, zodiac, circle, literally the circle of little animals. It's also considered the circle of life. And it's literally a bunch of metaphysical animals above an arch in the heavens, in the waters above. Literally exactly what the Cherokee are saying. To, to the T. They're, they're not even mincing words. <laughs> they're just telling you. So there's, yeah, so there's your zodiac. And the zodiac has, of course, been around a very long time. And here's your circle of animals. Of course, we've talked lots and lots and lots about the zodiac. So there's that. Um, okay, let's keep moving on here. So, oh, did I miss one? I thought I missed one here. Did I get this? Yes. Okay, so uh, let's make sure I'm not missing, divided. Yes, yes. So there's that story. Once again, they brought the dry land up. And then let's keep going. At first, the earth was flat. So in the beginning, before there, were mount before there was any topography, like mountains or valleys and stuff like that, they said it was flat. Did, did that from the flatness, then the great buzzard came and turned it into a ball. No, that's not what happened. At first, the earth was flat. Still is. And very soft and wet. The animals were anxious to get down and sent out different birds to see if it was yet dry. But they found no place to alight and came back again to Gulenlati. So now, let's stop here. The animals were anxious. They were in the metaphysical realms above. And they were anxious to get down to the material world to see if it was dry. So in other words, there was a bunch of animals. And the first thing they sent down was, well, I think it was a water beetle, right? But they, eventually what they're going to see is you, they send down birds. So in other words, there was a time period where these these animals were sent out to see if there was dry land. And then they came back when they found out that there was none. Wait a second. You mean like Noah and his ark when Noah, after the flood, which is exactly what we're talking about here, after the flood, 
Noah was in a big boat and he sent out a raven, a crow, raven, right? Um, and uh, a dove to see if there was dry land. Once again, same themes, same ideas playing out right here. The animals were anxious to get down. Where is the dove of, of Noah's Ark? It's upstairs. It's Columba. What's the, what's the crow or the raven? It's Corvidae. What's the ark? As we know, if you guys have been paying attention and have been coming to church like you freaking should, it's Argonavis. All of these stories are up there. Guess where the Cherokee found these stories? Up there. So they set out different birds to see if it was dry. They sent out birds to see if it was dry, just like in Noah's Ark. But they found no place to alight and came back to Gulenlati. At last, it seemed to be time. And they sent out the buzzard and told him to go and make ready for them. This was the great buzzard. This was the, listen, this was the great buzzard, the father of all the buzzards we see now. This was the great buzzard, the father of all the buzzards that we see now. He flew all over the earth, all over the flat, wet earth, low down near the ground, and it was still soft. When he reached the Cherokee country, he was very tired, and his wings began to flap and strike the ground. And whenever they struck the earth, there was a valley, and whenever they turned up, there was a great mountain. When the animals above saw this, they were afraid that the whole world would be mountains, so they called him back. Now the, the bird, they called the buzzard back, and now this great buzzard, the buzzard that we still see today, the father of all buzzards that we see now, is still up in the heavens. And that buzzard was the thing that allegedly created all the topography on earth. This is the story, okay? And the Cherokee country remains full of mountains to this day. Okay, we'll get back to that buzzard in just one second. Just want to mention one more thing. When the earth was dry and the animals came down, so after Noah sent out his raven and his crow, you know, the, the crow raven, the, the, the dove, and the dove came back, it's like, hey, it's cool, it's dry. Then, guess what? Then they went to the dry land, right? Recapitulation of the story. In, couched in what? Animals. Why? Well, because they're Cherokee. They're not Hebrews. When the earth was dry and the animals came down, it was still dark. So they got the sun and they set it in a track to go every day across the island of earth. So now what do we have here? Geocentrism. <laughs> this, this, this sun is going across the island of earth that's right in the center. It was just overhead, just like it is, right? The sun. It's not obviously way up there with the stars. It's closer than that as far as we can tell. It was too hot this way. So the red, frog, the red crawfish had his shell scorched to bright red, his meat was spoiled, and basically what happens is they kept lifting the sun up. They're like, oh, it's too hot, and it's burning this crawfish and all these other animals, and we got to lift it up more and lift it up again, and then finally it gets to this place where it's far enough away that it's you know not too hot, not too cold. They raised it another time and another time and another time until, wait for it, it was seven hand breaths high and just under the sky arch. There we go again. So now we have a reference to what? Exactly what we talked about in the beginning of this. Those numbers refer to what? Your hands. Then they're telling you what? This sun is, now it's obviously not actual seven hand breaths because this is a hand breath, right? As far as I know. And if it, there's like seven of them, then there's the sun, obviously not. Why are they focusing on seven? And why are they focusing on hand breaths? Well, we already answered that question. Obviously, this is mythology. Obviously, there wasn't some great buzzard that came down and actually smacked the ground, right? They're telling a tale, but they're telling a tale to unveil the, the, um, an understanding of the creation story, which, once again, when you get past the exoteric, pretty much the same shit, same stuff. So, that said, now let's get back to this buzzard, right? So, all of a sudden, this buzzard, and at last, 
It seemed to be time. They sent out the buzzard and told him to go and make ready for them. This was the great buzzard, the father of all the buzzards that we see now. So, what is this buzzard? Today? Yes. Um... Every day the sun goes along under this arch and returns to the night on the upper side of the starting place. So let's talk about the buzzard. What is the buzzard? Because of its habits of eating, um, the buzzard was actually, uh, allegedly anyway, to the Cherokee was considered like this sort of, you know, special bird, right? Um, the Cherokees thought that the buzzards possessed power over contagious diseases and regarded it as doctor among the birds. Buzzard feathers were placed over doorways in many homes as charms. And so who is this buzzard? that they see in the sky today. Who is this buzzard that they see in the sky today? Well, this is the constellation Cygnus. This is one of, um, and in fact, <clears throat> like the other night, it was kind of dark the other, last night, but the other night I went out and you can see the Milky Way is like right there and you can see Cygnus like boom right there. Cygnus is a great bird. It's been considered a, a swan, an eagle, a buzzard. It's, you know, and if you look at it, it's like, wow, ah, if I was going to, you know, anthropomorphize that or not anthropomorphize, anthropomorphize, that's the wrong word. Um, you know, make this into some sort of animal. What would you, ah, it looks like fairly like a bird kind of thing, right? So Cygnus is known as the swan. It's the, I think the Cygnus is Latin. Um, the constellation of Cygnus is the swan, considered one of the most recognizable constellations in the night sky, particu particularly during the summer and autumn in the northern hemisphere. Okay, and it was known as a big bird. Okay, and it is, it is a good bird. Is it? Cygnus is a good, good bird. There's Tommy the my bird. Tommy! <laughs> He's a good bird. Cygnus is a meaty bird, too. Anyway, so there's Cygnus. And Cygnus is known as the Northern Cross. Pay attention, guys. Cygnus, this great buzzard in the sky. Look at, this is a um, planisphere right now. And so what you can see is that's the Milky Way as it, as it courses across our sky. And it touches, you know, goes from ecliptic to ecliptic. Side of the ecliptic to the ecliptic. We'll talk about that in just a second. And there's a great big ass bird. And it's a very noticeable constellation. Okay, now this Cygnus bird is actually considered the Northern Cross. Once again, the Northern Cross. Okay, so there's that. Now um, this bird is is obviously, I mean, it's it's really recognizable. Obviously, like I said, but um, it's been known by many other native cultures. So we're gonna watch this video, and it's from it's from a, a documentary I made called Frank's Hill and the ancient mound builders of Wisconsin. And this is up near, uh, it's called this place, it's a place called Frank's Hill, where I used to live kind of in uh, Monroe, Wisconsin. It's about like an hour and a half away, something like that. And it's this old, these old mounds, and um, they are, one of the things that they're focusing on is Cygnus, and you'll see. So let's watch this. This is about a two, three minute clip, something like that. Okay. The mounds on Hill East are in direct east-west alignment or the places of the rising and setting sun. Because these particular mounds were crafted upon the highest points in the surrounding area, one is able to see a 360 degree panoramic. Because of this fact, we must reasonably and logically deduce and assume that these mounds were built as astronomical markers and observatories. The mounds with the bison, the corn husking woman, and the bird and snake are all perfectly aligned east and west, showing clearly that the mounts were used to track the rising and setting sun and moon throughout the year. 
What I noticed when I was up there, freezing my tush off by the way, is that when one stands on the head of the bird and looks due west, on your right shoulder will sit the pole star, or Polaris, the star that the entire circle of the heavens rotates around every single night. Circumnavigating around the pole star of Polaris is the constellation Draco, which is Latin for dragon. Draco is considered a circumpolar constellation because at least north of the equator, the dragon never sets and is always visible in the night sky. I can't help but think as well that the bird mound may be representative of the constellation Cygnus, which is very notable in the night sky as it includes the very bright star Deneb. Cygnus just so happens to be flying right near the constellation Draco. Taking Highway 193 back to 60 and then winding down along the Wisconsin River again for a few miles, we come to yet another effigy mound of a giant bird. And we can see that the Wisconsin River here is right in front of the bird. And when we zoom in, we can see that the bird is pointing almost directly due south. What is so interesting about this mound is that we can see that the wings of the bird, when you stand right at its tail, as I did when I was there, the wings of the bird seem to clearly mark the east and west ascension and declination of the sun, moon, and planets. Or in other words, the wings of the bird mark the ecliptic. I created a graphic here so it's easier to see what I'm talking about, but as you can see, I'm standing sort of at the back of the end of the bird, and the head of the bird points basically south, and then the wings mark the ends of the ecliptic. It's pretty wild. So what's even more fascinating about this mound is that when you just turn around and look due north from this position, the constellation Draco and the pole star stare right at you. So like I said, that's a mound that's over by uh, where I used to live in Monroe, Wisconsin. And it's like the highest point in the whole area. So you can see it was used as a star observatory. I mean, it's like a perfect place once in, you can see the whole valley from there. So it's a perfect place to actually watch the stars, whether you, you know, and so you can see that this is actually what they did there. There's actually two separate sets of mounds. And the one mound is actually 12 conical mounds that actually represent allegedly the years. And they're separated into where the sun rises and where the sun sets throughout the year. Then you also have um, on top of the other mound, you have some of the main some of the main figures of the stars that you actually see around the pole star. So you have the corn husky, you have the Draco the dragon, which is a coiled serpent. That's Draco right upstairs. You have the next one, which is Cygnus, which is the big bird, which is literally right by Draco, and we'll see that again. Um, you can see this again. There's um, there's Draco right up, right above where it says Cygnus right there. There's Draco. Right below Cygnus is Draco right there. So there's the there's a there's the dragon, which is the literally the coiled serpent of Draco. There's a big bird which is Cygnus. There's the which is the they call it the bear or the beast. There's the or the buffalo there, which is usually understood as Ursa Major, which is a big bear, a big boar, a big beast, depending on once again what culture you talk about you're you're you know um, it's being distinguished in but it's usually considered a ba big beast of an animal and then you have the corn husking woman 
Okay, the corn husking woman would be um, once again one of the most. These are all extremely prominent, you know, uh, constellations in the sky. The corn husking woman being the M of Cassiopeia. Okay, so um, so the point is, is here they have they're using Cygnus as a bird in the sky as one of their main markers because it's so prominent, and so you can see that native cultures that we don't even know who these people were, no idea, but just by going up on a hill looking at you know what's put in front of you aligning it with the sun you can see exactly what these people were doing they were in alignment with god's design they were in alignment with the Tao, with the way you know the thing that most of these people today have completely lost this is poverty point in um louisiana and this is a, it's a it's a reconstruction of what the site was but there obviously was a site there and you can see that there's a big, and it's a, I think it's 72 foot high, 600 foot long effigy mound of a big freaking bird. So what, what were, what are they, what's, you know, what are they talking about there? They're talking about Cygnus that's flying through the river of stars of the Milky Way, the big cross in the sky, the big bird. He's a gub bird. <laughs> it's a meaty bird. Okay, sorry. So why are why would these cultures follow this cross? And what does this have to do with Christianity? Well, we know we all know that Jesus died on the cross, right? Died and resurrected. What is that story all about? And it is a story. It is a mythology. What is it about? Well, it's about the patterns of God that God has ordained in the heavens. This is from 30 to 40 degrees, which is about where we are right now, latitude. You go, you know, 40, 50, around the same, you're going to basically see the same, you know, set of stars, that sort of thing. This is looking, so once again, in that video, there was that, bird, the big bird that's representing Cygnus, and it's actually delineating where the ecliptic is, where the sun rises and sets, where the, the, the pattern of the stars go, right? You can even just go to, and that's what I did when I was there, I just went there, I just took my compass, I was like, well, shit, there's the ecliptic, and it's literally at the ends of this big bird. Then you look at this bird, and you literally just go like this, and you got Cygnus right above you, okay? So here's these ancient mounds by these builders, and we have no idea what we what they mean. Yes, we do. We know exactly what these things mean. Not exactly, but you get what I'm saying. Just putting the pieces together, you can see, okay, what, what were they telling about? They were talking about a story in the stars, the exact same thing that this is talking about, an exact same thing that all these cultures are talking about. Crosses on the horizon. There's the northern cross when you look to the north, and there's a southern cross when you look to the south. There's a northern cross being Cygnus when you look to the north, and there's a southern cross when you look to the south. So I'm going to go and look at the north star tonight, which is right this way. I'm going to go. I'm like, boom. You know what I'm going to see? I look up, and I'm going to be able to see Cygnus, a big bird in the sky. And this right now, right where you're looking at right now, is on Christmas. This is about an hour before sunrise on December 25th. This is exactly what you would see in the sky if you were standing right where I am right now, right? This is about an hour before sunrise on Christmas. Now, why is Christmas is, it's important? Obviously, it's the winter solstice. That's where the, you know, the, the, the story comes from. It's like, oh, the sun dies, it's dead for three days, and then rises again. This, this place in the sky is obviously important, not because of some shit that was written down in this thing, but because God has ordained it. That's how it is. So when we do, we look at this time period where it's like, oh, guess what? The sun's dying. It's going to be reborn. The cycle of life is beginning to start over again. We went from the darkness of winter and now it's going to start getting lighter. And what's happening in the sky? 
There's two crosses on the uh, that are the, once again as the sun that December 25th sun as it's rising. What's literally in the horizon on the ground? You look to the north. It's Cygnus, which is a cross that's dying and being reborn. And you look to the south, and you find what? A southern cross, which is what? Dying and being reborn. And by dying, I mean literally. I mean it poetically. I should say. This is, the, this is the canopy of the stars. It's doing like this. Oh, it was the cross is dead. Looking to the north. It's going counterclockwise. The cross was dead. And now it was from the ground and now it's being raised again. Cygnus, the northern cross, does this naturally in the sky. Where did they get the, where did they get the story about the cross and dying? And where did they get it? It was a revelation from on high, guys. So, now we see this big cross in the sky, Cygnus, the big bird in the And this is the Cygnus, so there's, okay, so there's the pole star, so everything's revolving, right? This is looking towards the north, it's revol revolving counterclockwise. That bird is revolving around that pole star, correct? Okay. Now, you guys know this story, Adam and Eve? So there was a man and a woman, and they were up in a mythical garden. And then all of a sudden, there's this snake that comes up. And the snake's like, dude, there's this tree. And you should totally eat it. And it's delicious. And then you're like, you're not going to die. And then then Eve was like, okay. And then he was like, Adam, you should totally take this. And so then they ate this from this serpent. And then they fell from the heavenly metaphysical realms above the arch of the dome, fallen into the material world. <laughs> right? And so this is an Adam and an Eve, king and a queen. This is the king and queen. This is this would be the progeny of all mankind, right? According to the story, of course. There wasn't actually a, 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 a you know a, a English chaps in a garden talking to a snake. That's not that's not a thing. So Adam and Eve. Adam is a man. Eve is a woman. Obviously, they were the pro, the progenitors of all mankind, right? I think that's the word. Progenitors, beginners, whatever. That's the thing. And this is known as. Cepheus and Cassiopeia, which are two circumpolar constellations. Cassiopeia, which is the woman that we just mentioned, the corn-husking woman, and Cepheus, which is the king. Adam, Cepheus, Eve, Cassiopeia, and they're right next to what? A big damn serpent in the sky. This serpent we've already related to numerous, 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 numerous times in the Bible. Jesus was taken up by the serpent to a high place where he could see all the kingdoms of the world. The serpent, the old serpent, the devil. That's Draco. Draco took him to the high point in the sky so he can literally see all the kingdoms of the world. And what's up there? The progenitors of all mankind. And Adam, and Eve, Cepheus, and a Cassiopeia, and a big damn serpent. So, in that story, we were told that there was a flaming sword that would be kept to guide the way back home to the center of the whole thing, being Polaris, of course, where Adam and Eve are from. So he drove out the man. Genesis 3.24. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims. Do you know what a cherubim is? A cherub is an order of angels. That's what it is. A cherub is, like, and you look at the etymology, it's an order of angels, okay? In the Christian angelic hierarchy, there's a specific order of angels, and there's nine of them. And um, we'll see that in just a second, okay? So he drove out the man, so... Cepheus and Cassiopeia, they're out because they listened to Draco the serpent. And he kicked them out and they placed at the east of this garden where they were of Eden 
cherubims, which is an order of angels, which is an, uh, yeah, an order of angels, and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Let's read this again. And a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Cygnus the bird is known as the Northern Cross. Okay? What does this look like to you? Could you, if you were going to say, well, that's a bird, you could you could symbolize it as what? You could symbolize it as a bow and arrow, I suppose. You could symbolize it, lots of things, and it has been symbolized. But what what is one of the things? When you talk about a cross, what is traditionally, what is the cross all sometimes been symbolized as? A sword. And it has. In fact, this is why the sword of the spirit is called the word of God. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. When you put on your six pieces of the armor of God, you, you put on your breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the you know the belt of truth and the feet shod with the gospel of peace. And then you take your sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God is Jesus Christ. And what did he die on? A cross. The cross is in symbolism actually denoted to be the, the sword. So, in the Garden of Eden, upstairs, where man was kicked out by the serpent Draco, which is Cassio, Cassius, or oh, excuse me, Cepheus and Cassiopeia, <clears throat> there's a flaming sword. Cygnus comes from the word signet. Cygnus means swan. A signet is a young swan. And signet actually comes from Latin signus, Greek kyknos, kyknos, which is a variation of the word kyklos, circle, circle of animals has been the subject of abundant discussion, comes from to be white, to lighten, glow, light, clear, white, to be white, to lighten, to glow. So now we have a swan, eagle, bird, buzzard bird up there in the shape of a cross. And it's been given the distinctions of lighting and glowing. In other words, there's a flaming sword which turned every way. What is Cygnus doing in the sky? It's literally Cygnus, Signet, which talks about light, flame, right? To lighten, to glow, white. And it's in the form of a, a sword, a cross, and it's turning every way. To point where? To the center of the creation. To the cent- in other words, to the center of the pole star. So here's the Cygnus, as it turns in the celestial sphere every night, it's literally pointing. That's what it's doing, just as the verse says. Which turned every way, because that's a, it's literally turning, literally every way, to keep the way of the tree of life. To keep the way of the tree of life. So there's a big sword, and it's right by a king and queen and a big serpent in the center of the entire canopy of the stars. What is the tree of life? So, the tree of life, the very center of the earth is represented in the heavens by the pole star of Polaris. This peak or uppermost part of the firmament has been symbolized in numerous ways, sometimes that being a large mountain or enormous tree. The Norse and the poetic Edda declared that the Yggdrasil to be the central tree that exists in the center of the earth. We find that the Genesis narrative speaks of the tree of life also in the midst of the garden. The garden of Eden in the midst, which means middle, is a tree. Let's go back here. That Polaris is a tree. There's a tree that's, you know, a symbolic tree that's growing up in the middle 
of it. In the midst of the garden. Where's the garden? Well, it's where Cassiope and Cepheus and the Drake and Draco are. Okay. Once again, all of this is based on the buzzard that the Cherokee are pointing to. Exact same constellation. So yet, so yet again, we find a tree in the middle. According to Britannica, the world tree, also called the cosmic tree, the center of the world, is a widespread motif in many myths and folklores among various preliterate peoples, especially in Asia, Australia, and North America. Of course, that's the Yggdrasil tree there in the Norse stuff. To summarize, the mountain or central tree that is being symbolized here is that of the stars themselves, with Polaris being the peak or summit of the entire celestial canopy. So the tree in the midst of the garden. That's what they're saying. The point of the way to the tree that's in the midst of the garden is our living tree of life and is the very one we wish to eat from that is symbolic of eternal life. In Revelation, we read this. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God, the throne, the center of the whole thing, and of the Lamb in the midst, middle, the street of it, and on either side of the river there was the tree of life. And the throne of God shall be in it. So there's your, there's your tree of life. I hate to break it to you, but this is what they're referencing. They're referencing the cosmic tree of life and your tree of life. Once again, all these all these people don't want to like um, associate this stuff with Kabbalah because they think it's some Jewish whatever, right? Stop. Stop. We're talking about universals here. And I'm going to show you this. So, in once again, this is all stemming from the fact that the Cherokee were focused on a big cross in the sky, a big bird in the sky that points to all this all this stuff. Let's go back here. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims. He placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims. A cherub is an order of angels. That's what a cherub is. So God placed a flaming sword, Cygnus of Cygnet, which is light. It's to brighten, to glow. And it's a big sword. And what is it doing? It's pointing to what? Where the Garden of Eden is and what's in the Garden of Eden? Cepheus and Cassiopeia and a big damn serpent. It's pointing to this tree in the center and the cherubims, the cherubim is an order of angels. Well, angels are angles. And this is your angles, your angels of light. And what are those angles? Well, as Kabbalists, we know. We know what those angels are because God put them right here. Zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Those 10 digits can create any other number in creation. 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Those, those 10, right? They're actually 9 because 0 is considered a non-number, right? These 9 angels have been put on a tree. The Christian angelic hierarchy, well, let's first start with this one. This is the Norse. There's a tree in the center of the earth, a mythical tree. There's an underworld and an overworld and then a middle world. <clears throat> and that's Adgard, Misgard, and something. I forget what the actual, I should know it actually. Asgard, Nephilim, and Midgard. Is that what the three are? I think so. Um, nine worlds, nine angel, angels or angles put on a tree. And there's, of course, the Christian angelic hierarchy. There's literally the triangle that's put above there, right? The three becoming one that's put above there. And then below that is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And these cherubims, which are an order of angles, angels, order of angles and angels, as Genesis is telling us, was put on a tree. Wait, so you mean this shit and this shit? 
and this shit are all talking about the exact same thing? Well, what's all this fighting for? What's all these people thinking that they have a supreme worldview or something? Can you not count? All of these things are talking about the exact same thing. This is trying to tell you about universal, the tree of life, your tree of life. The ten, the, the nine angles and angels that have been put on that tree of life, which is put right in front of you. And where does that? As above, so below. Microcosm, macrocosm, the anthropocosm. So why did they, why did those, those crazy Cherokee focus on that big bird in the sky, that big buzzard, that big cross? Because that big bird's got a story to tell you. That's why. All right. Um, what's going on here? Oh, it sucks. We got to kick people out. Hey, this door is... Um, yeah, so... Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Yeah, we like to fight. That's the problem, isn't it? It's it's like people enjoy... It's like pe instead of like coming together in community, people want to enjoy fighting with one another. I think it's childish. I think, I think that says everything about our humanity in general and the growing up that we need to do. It's ridiculous. That said... Um, I think it's time for the collection plate. You cheapskates. Here it is. Alright, let's do this shit. Come on. Show me the money. That's right. Oh, you gotta show me. Get that get that checkbook up, people. Come on. <laughs> okay. If you want to donate to the cause, you can become a member at the Gnostic Academy. Uh, GnosticAcademy.org. You can become a member for 14 bucks for three months, 54 for the year. And if you want to donate, that's what keeps this thing up and running. I'm only going to keep this thing up and running as long as I am afforded to do it, I guess. Because <laughs> that's, that's uh, all we can do. So, um, so yeah, uh, if you want to support uh, Cash App, Buy Me a Coffee, there's all the places you can do that. So if you want to do that, that's that would be amazing. All right. There it is. So, and um, I think it's important. As you know, Jacob is saying, um, showing me the money is important. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Show me the money. Yeah. That's right. Okay, sorry. Okay, let's keep going. Who did, what are you guys talking about? Oh, um, Archaics guy, yes, 449. Okay, the, can I just say something quick? I'm going to mention, because I don't like to talk about this shit. I have zero interest in like, debate, you know, fighting about this stuff and all that sort of thing. But the Archaics guy, the one thing that I have a problem with, okay, so like, yeah, he went to jail and all that sort of stuff and blah, 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 blah. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's, there's some issues there for sure. But the biggest problem I have is that one of his things is saying that there's a Phoenix cycle and it's every 138 years. And this is like one of his things, and this is a recurring thing, and we're in a simulation. How would you possibly prove that? In order to understand it's a cycle, not only would you have to prove a 138-year cycle, you'd have to make two of them and even into three of them to even prove that it's a cycle. And as soon as you do that, you're what, 100 and, let's say 150, you're 400 and some years back? So, 
Yeah, there's a long list of reasons not to listen to that guy. I, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. Simulation my ours. I know. It's terrible. I went over the other day. Yeah, I was watching um, Balderson, the BBs over there, Balderson and, and Owen, and um, on, on uh, Owen's Alchemy the other day. And Archaics was on, and he had like 1,600 people watching. That's the state of the truth community for you guys. That's all you can say. I'm not going to bitch about it, whatever. But the fact that this is turned off, this will get like maybe 1,000, 1,200 views or something like that. That'll be the clicks. There will actually be probably like 400 people to watch this in its entirety. And people will gobble that shit up all day long. None of it provable. None of it. Literally nothing. And then promoting that. Like, oh, this guy's got some good ideas. Who gives a shit about your ideas? Prove. Show me something I can prove. Show me something that I can stick, you know, you know. Anyway, that's to me, it's so sad. It's so sad that that's the state of another beautiful, informative servant. Thank you, Marty and Jen. I always look forward to my Sundays with all of you. Deborah Stille. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's nuts. It's nuts. Um, but I'm not going to bitch about that. It is what it is. The Phoenix and the Sun cycle of the Neros is the Sun cycle. Of the, I don't know what that says. Dude is insane. I know. Dude, it's insane. 1,600 listening to people, complete bullshit he makes up. Exactly. It's it's a huge problem, but I'm not going to bitch about it. Whatever. It is what it is. Remember this. This is what I want you guys to... Then, I'll, then I'm going to stop this. This is what I want you guys to remember, okay? What is this whole thing about here? If we're going to be honest truth seekers, Karen B., I enjoyed your stream today. Thanks, Karen B. I love your... Um, I've been watching your... Um, the coffee talks. I enjoyed them very much. So go support the Karen B.'s. One of the greatest women of the truth community, in my opinion. My humble opinion. I am H.O. or whatever. What was I saying? This is what I want you guys... And then I'm going to move on because we got stuff to do. I want you guys to remember this. Um, Liz, just the fact that you're here is enough. So I appreciate any support you guys give. It means the world to me that you guys support. Um, this is what I want you to remember. Whenever you see somebody that's promoting a worldview or, or their position or that sort of thing, right? Or I've got this thing, it's a 138-year Phoenix cycle, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to promote. Just remember this. I want you guys to think about this. What is this place for? What is this place for? It's for you to reach salvation. It's for you to get home to God. It's for This is the place in which we undergo the challenges, the, the, the pain, the suffering, the strife, the pain, the torment, the torture, the profanity, the nausea, the suffering, the perversion, the calamity. You can't get away. so good Sorry. This is the place where you have to go to deal with those challenges, right? The trials and tribulations and stuff like that. That's what Earth is for. When people take a position, a worldview, have an argument, they argue for their position, that sort of stuff. Just, just so you know, what is this place all about? It's about salvation. So if those people, if the people that are following Archaics and the people that are listening to Archaics and Archaics himself, if he thinks that those, that worldview that he has and the information that he's come across and all that stuff, if he's so... Um, um, I want to say confident, if he's so confident that that's going to bring him to salvation, that that set of information and his worldview and how he work looks at, if he thinks that that's going to bring him to God, well then, okay, go ahead. Go nuts. If the orthodox people out there and all the arguing, arguing and the debates and stuff that they do, let them debate, let them do it. If you are so confident that you think that that's going to get you home to God, then you go ahead and think that. You go and we'll we'll watch from the sidelines as you wallow in crazy ignorance, crazy ignorance about the very world around you, what's right in front of you, what's right above you, what this thing means. If they're so confident that that's that their worldview is going to take them to God and take them to heaven, cross those pearly gates, then let them have that worldview. Don't fight it. Don't argue with it. 
Why? They have no intent. Do you really think, Archaics, if you got to him and said, Hey, brother, you're full of shit. You're full of shit. And you need to rethink everything that you're saying. Nothing of what you're presenting is provable. And you're guiding a whole bunch of people astray. If they're confident that that's going to bring them home to heaven, well, you can let them go. Do you see what I'm saying? Because this is what this place is about. You guys want to argue, want to fight about your worldview and your opinions on stuff and blah, 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 blah. Okay, fine. But just so you know, what are you actually arguing about? What are you actually defending? This is why I'm not spending my time talking about Kanye fucking West. Now, don't get me wrong. It was very entertaining the other day when he was wearing the black mask and he was on Alex Jones and, and all that other stuff. I was entertained for about five, six hours. Very much so. So don't get me wrong. But I'm not going to waste my time talking about the things happening of the day. I don't care. I don't care. I'm concerned about getting home to God. I'm concerned about educating people about their world. I'm concerned about understanding heaven and understanding earth. I'm concerned about understanding this baby right here. I'm I'm concerned about a genuine understanding of, of, of God and what we're supposed to do in this world. The rest of the, these people, like these archaics and stuff like that, if you want to follow that, then guess where that's going to lead? I don't know. What that, you know what? I'll leave that in your hands. I'm not going to say. I don't, because I don't, I just know it's crap. And I know if that's where you want to focus and spend your time, then go ahead and enjoy it. It's sad to me, you know. Thank you, Amor. Walking hug, Russell. Thank you, brother. Yes. Um, so, Ruth Scott, thank you very much. Okay, I, I've said enough about that. Um, you know, this that's what this whole thing is about. Just a reminder, that's what this whole thing is about. It's about getting home to God. It's about reuniting. It's theosis, whatever... whatever term once again you want to couch it in it's us taking that divine light home to god and that's what it's about it's about morality it's about being righteous it's about being virtuous it's about being kind it's about being compassionate it's about going towards truth and doing whatever whatever it takes in your power to get into that center of that truth and if these people want to dance around the center and talk about simulations and all this other night and oh well there was really a dude that actually spent three days in the belly of a whale because my god can do that then let them do that let them go. And then they will have to deal with the, the, the choices they made in this life. And and, the, and I think they're going to find out at the end of it that when they, they can't actually be honest with anything in here. And if they can't be honest with anything in here, they're certainly not, not honest with anything that's in here. And they're certainly not honest with what's going on upstairs. Rant over. Let's talk about the two dogs. So in the chair, truth seeker. Boom. Thank you, my brother. Um, so, there's a story of the Milky Way. Speaking of the stars, there's a story of the Milky Way. Yeah, Amen is right. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I don't listen to pretty much anything anymore. Most, I, I pretty much can't listen to most people anymore, but as far as, far as like truth seekers are concerned, there's a select few. And this is why, you know, because of, because of garbage like that. It's just, it's really sad. Okay, let's learn about the Cherokee. Let's learn about the fact that this culture knew some stuff. So there's an explanation for the Milky Way from the Cherokee people. Watch this. So uh, some people in the South had a corn mill in which they pounded the corn into meal. And several mornings when they came to fill it, they noticed that some of the meal had been stolen during the night. They examined the ground and found the tracks of a dog. So the next night they watched. And when the dog came from the North and began to eat the meal out of the bowl, they sprang out and whipped him. 
He ran off howling to his home in the north, with the meal dropping from his mouth as he ran, and leaving behind a white trail where we now see the Milky Way. So there was this, you know, this corn mill. There's this, all of a sudden there was corn missing. There was like dog that came in during the night, took the corn, and when it was running and running away, it was dropping the corn. And that corn is what we see today as the Milky Way. Now, obviously, this isn't a scientific, you know, verifiable equation that we can understand how the Milky Way was formed. Clearly not. What is this? It's a story. Okay. The Cherokee call this day, uh, whatever that is, they call the Milky Way where the dog ran. Where the dog ran. Okay, so what are they talking about? Just as we know that there's a great buzzard in the sky, and all we have to do is look up and see a great buzzard in the sky, and it's literally flying the Milky Way. Well, guess what else is um, where, where we can find some uh, characters of the, the Cherokee, these animals? Well, they're the dogs, and they even tell you. There, there, there are two dogs, Alpha and Beta Canis Majori, which is basically they're saying it's the two two main stars in, in Canis Major, but... Either way, you could say Canis Major, Canis Minor. They're talking about, obviously, that place in the sky. Sirius being one of the most important, you know, brightest stars in the sky. So, obviously, they're making a myth on this. There are two dogs who guard the path of the Milky Way, where the dogs ran. To the land of souls. To the land of souls. These two dogs, listen, these two dogs are around an area in the Milky Way, which they created, that the dog created, and they're guarding the path to this place where there's a land of souls. To get past the dogs, one should bring some food. Be warned, if you give food to the first dog, he will let you pass. But if you fail to save some food for the second dog, you will be trapped between them forever. Now, what are they talking about here? This is obviously, there's your dog star. So they're obviously referring to this area of the sky. You're obviously, you could say Canis Major, Procyon, which is actually what I think they're they're actually referring to is Procyon, which is in Canis Minor, and Sirius, which is in Canis Major. And you can see there. Um, but either way, you're dealing with their dog star. They're telling you. They're not even, you know, this, there's no mincing of words here. They're like, look, this is what we're talking about. So this is where the dogs ran. This is all the, the corn that's left, right? And what the heck are they talking about? So um, this area in the sky is known as, so right there you see where Sirius is, right? Right to the left of it you see Gemini, and right above Gemini, there's the ecliptic there, right? You see Gemini. Right above Gemini obviously is uh, Taurus, and Taurus is the horns of the bull, the bull horns of Taurus, and that's right there. And that is, see the ecliptic, I just want to make sure everybody's getting this. There's Gemini, there's Taurus right above it on the ecliptic. And those two are marking the place right between, you know, right between them is where the Milky Way touches the ecliptic. And so these two constellations are pointing to this sort of gate, this entranceway where souls are, where it says here, it says um, to the land of souls. That's literally what it says, to the land of souls. So this is known in lore. It's it's, it's been given, excuse me, been given a bunch of different terms, silver gate, golden gate, that sort of thing. We'll refer to them as those, Silver Gate, Golden Gate. So you can see the Silver Gate is recognized as between Taurus and Gemini, and that's exactly where we are. There's the Milky Way right there. There's the two dogs right there, and they're saying, hey, this is the place where the land of souls are. And if you feed one dog and you don't feed the other, then you're going to be stuck here. But if you feed both the dogs, then you'll get to go, apparently, on the river of the, where the dogs ran and, and get to heaven, if you will. Okay, so there's your Silver and Golden Gate. The area of the sky, this area of the sky that they're mentioning is also legendary to astrologers as being one of the gates of the gods. The Milky Way stretches across from one end to, um, of the ecliptic to the other, 
And the two, sorry, fix this here. Thank you. And the two places where the Great River of Stars meets the ecliptic are considered in legend lore to be the silver and golden gates. So we basically have the ecliptic, right? And then you have the Milky Way that goes over it. And where the two places where the ecliptic meets the, or excuse me, where the Milky Way meets the ecliptic are called the Silver Gate, which is between Gemini and Taurus, and the Golden Gate, which is between Scorpio and Sagittarius. I'll show that again. The general notion was that these gates represent the places where souls could enter and exit the earth plane. Now, this is a notion that is found in Eastern or European sort of traditions, right? Is that basically there's this notion that, hey, that entrance and that entrance is where souls can enter and exit. And that's exactly, literally exactly what the Cherokee are saying. To the T. The Golden Gate is formed between Sagittarius and Scorpio during the winter solstice, and the Silver Gate is formed from the horns of the bull of Taurus and the twins of Gemini during the summer solstice. So, this, you know, so it's marking these two points, the sol, you know, to act, the solstices, right? Um, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, it's marking the two, I'm, I'm getting this incorrect. It's just marking those two places in the sky, let me just say that. Uh, these gates have sometimes been symbolized, as they are by the Vatican, by two keys, being silver and gold in color, often crossed with one another. These two gates or keys are said to represent two functions. The silver key has the power to bind and loose on earth. So the silver gate, the silver key, has the power to bind and loose on earth. And the golden key has the power to bind and loose in heaven. Okay? This is generally the what's understood. So the silver gate is where allows you to bind and loose on earth. And then the golden gate is where bind and loose in heaven. Now, this is exactly what the Cherokee say. Because they say, when you pass through this gate here, where the two dogs are, right? Procyon and Sirius, Canis Major. When you cross through there, you got to make sure to feed both the dogs. And if you don't feed the dogs, then you'll be trapped between them. You'll be bound on, in earth, in other words. You'll be bound. This is exactly what the gates are saying. Literally is the power to bind and loose on earth and the golden head. This is the silver key. The silver gate has the power to bind and loose on earth. That's literally exactly what the Cherokee are saying. There's your Vatican, um, silver and golden. Of course, those, the, you know, symbols are polyvalent, by the way. So there's many different things that you can take from this. I mean, obviously, silver and gold are sun and moon. I mean, duh. Uh, life and death, entering life and death. Those, you know, there's obviously the, the power of a symbol is the fact that it has so many different meanings, right? But the, there, there are specific meanings to that symbol. This is one of them. They're talking about those two gates, talking about the sun and moon. So there's your silver gate, the study of Arco. So the, the point is, is the, this is what I'm trying to say here. All of these different cultures that came to some advanced knowledge of who they are, where they are, the nature of God, the nature of their cosmos, that sort of thing, they uh, they pointed to the same places in the sky. They pointed to these astronomical markers that meant something to them, to, to say it blatantly, right? And you'll see that these markers of the cross, the markers of the cross, have been pointed to in cultures around the world because they recognize what does that cross do? It tells you about inherent order. It tells you about inherent purpose. Die. And be reborn, just like that cross on the horizon does. Just like Cygnus is telling us to do. So they're pointing to these places in the sky, and they're, they're literally gaining their knowledge of the design of the Creator from these things. And then they're pointing to them and saying, hey, these are, these are special. And so these four, cro those four corners, the, the solstices and the equinoxes, those four points, have been a, f a special focus to cultures around the world. Well, duh. Why? Because it tells you about inherent design. 
And within that tells you about, once again, your, your purpose here, which we've talked so many times before. Um, yeah, um, Jen Bru, the pious. You will be calling him Chase by the end of this year. You'll be like, you're going to be giving him a birthday present or a Christmas present, and it's going to be Chase from Santa. So the study of archaeoastronomy has unearthed the fact that countless temples and structures around the world have entrances or their gates, their entrances, that have been aligned to either the winter or summer solstices or the equinoxes, with a few known examples being Newgrange Monument in Meath, Ireland, and the Mayashaw Mound in Orkney, Scotland. There are dozens of earthenwork mounds found throughout the woods of New England and the United States, and we'll see that, where the doorways of these structures have been aligned to the winter solstice, or you know some the four cardinal points. Let's just say that um, in the sky, being the Golden Gate, uh, finding this area of the stars and this period of the year so significant within temples across the world allows us to recognize that civilizations throughout history have all recognized something divinely special about the patterns of the sun against the twirling, whirling night sky. And that's really what we're doing. This is why Jesus is recognized as the sun. Okay. Jesus is recognized as a lot more than that, obviously, but one of the reasons is that he recognizes the sun as the sun is that portal into the mysteries, is the very, and as we'll see, the Cherokee even say this, is the enumerator, is the, 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 the measurer or the dictator of time. We distinguish day and night by the sun. So these cultures recognized that there was something of a design and a purpose to that big cross in the sky. And they're like, oh, I'm going to align myself to that one. I'm going to align myself to this. And we're going to see this all over the world. And this is what, um, well, we'll get to it in just a second. This is what the Cherokee were doing by saying, hey, the dog star, the two dogs, that's where we're going to go and enter and possibly get to heaven. So this is, uh, and we know we just, the reason this is so pertinent is because last live stream, we just did Matthew chapter two and we talked about all this. Literally this exact same information is encoded in here and not a Christian knows it. There's not a Christian. I've never met a Christian. I mean, particular somebody that says, yes, I'm a Christian. I follow Christ that knows anything about it. And if they do hear about it, they reject it, which means what are they doing? They're rejecting their connection to their ancestors. That's what they're doing. I don't think God is going to reward you for that. I'm just saying. So we already talked about this. Sirius, which is exactly what we're talking about. This is this is specifically talking about the winter solstice here. But still the same star, same constellations marking what? An unbelievably significant point in our astronomy, in, in the cycle of the season of the year. What are the what are the Cherokee doing? Literally the same thing. Newgrange, so once again, the four cardinal markers is what you'll, whether it's winter solstice, summer solstice, the equinoxes, they will mark these because what are they doing? What are they doing? What did the cultures do before? What were they doing? But they didn't have Christ, but they were somehow still following the cross. Interesting. Huh. Huh. So where's the winter solstice? Where's the winter solstice? Um, Excuse me, where to witness the winter solstice? Um, this is Newgrange. This is what happens during the winter solstice. The, the light, because of the angle, the angels, the angle of the sun, the angle of the sun is only at a particular place in the sky, which will allow the sun to actually come in through this doorway. So this whole, and I don't know if you ever, I don't have another picture of it, but if you ever seen um, Newgrange, sorry, this is going to be a long live stream, but it's worth it. 
in Newgrange, there's a big entrance in the front, and it's this huge structure, and they, they made this enormous structure to simply align with that? Why? Why were they marking the winter solstice? I don't know, maybe because the same reason that Matthew 2 was marking the winter solstice. Jesus is my thing, though. It's mine. Mine, 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 mine. So, uh, let's watch Jim Vieira. So this is this guy, he's a stonemason, not a mason mason, not a freemason, stonemason, um, that actually went around in New England and stuff like that and saw that these old, what what they claim are, um, what do they claim? They claim them, they're like uh, root cellars, I think is what they call these things, though there's like no door and there are these massive things. Anyway, he, he found that there's a bunch of these old quote-unquote root cellars or these like uh, mounds in the woods and a whole bunch of them are aligned to the, the solstices or equinoxes. So let's watch this, about a two minute clip. Uh, this is about a mile from that tunnel in Goshen. Here's the Goshen Equinox Chamber. This is one of hundreds of these structures in New England. So it's uh, very well made. It's at about 1400 feet facing east. My friends and I went up there, uh, not this winter, last winter, to see if it was oriented to the winter solstice. Uh, half of the chambers of New England that still exist are oriented to the equinox sunrise or the winter solstice sunrise, like the chambers in Europe and elsewhere. So we went up, the uh, sun was months away, and we said, let's go back next March 20th and see what happens. So this was my um, Raiders of the Lost Ark moment. I'm in the chamber and my friends are outside. And as it comes up at 6 in the morning, right down the pipe. And it was funny. There's this like strange face here. See the mouth and the eye? Almost looks like enlightenment. And I, uh, Whittle, they were open-minded, these archaeologists. They had a douser up there who, um, he found a spring underneath, and he found there was an electromagnetic line of force that ran right through the middle of this chamber. Whoever built this understood geomancy, uh, magnetic lines of force, ley lines. They understood um, the invisible realms. And so there you go. So basically this guy, he was out hiking with his brother and then ended up, this the story, ended up like seeing a bunch of these and went back and then found out that, yeah, he literally went at the time and boom. Uh, please provide the link for this. Are you asking me? Um, that's Jim Vieira, and I don't know what the video is. It's called Megalithic Structures in New England, something like that. If you look up Jim Vieira in England, it's a good video. He's he's a good he's got some good good research for sure. So um, here's the Teotihuacan, which is the Temple of the Sun. This is spring equinox once again. Um, the spring, you know, this is the the four cardinal points. It makes it perfect, as you can see. Everybody's up there and they're checking it out, and it's literally. Shows you the equa, equal day and night. I guess all these people went to hell because they didn't have Christ. <laughs> like, or did they? Maybe they did have Christ. Maybe we just don't understand what Christ is. Maybe that's the problem. Actually, I know that's the problem. <laughs> so, um, so there's that. So there's Teotihuacan. And once again, um, archaeoastronomy has really only been going on since the 1990s in our current time anyway. But... Uh, there you go. Thank you. Thank you, my wife. So uh, here's Karnak, Egypt. Once again, uh, this Luxor Temple, I guess, is what this is. Um, two pillars right there, and boom. Once again, an entire temple, an entire civilization. We don't know who, when they actually lived, where they were, etc. Et 
we, we essentially it's a damn mystery. But what can we extract from this though? They were following the order and design of God. What were all these cultures doing, guys? What were they doing? They were following the cross. That's what they were doing. That's what all of these cultures were doing. They were following the solstices and equinoxes in the sky. They were marking them. Saying, oh, that's... That's evidence. That's proof of design. They were following the cross. That's what they were doing. This is a this is a classic, and this is you know you'll find the cross everywhere. I mean, you'll find this in native cultures all over. This is the medicine wheel. Look at this. This I mean, that's essentially a swastika too. If you see that, right? And what is what is the swa What is this symbol? What is the swastika? It's exactly what we're talking about. It's the twirl of the sky. We we know that that's what that means. That's that's literally what it's solstices and equinoxes. That's what it's referring to. Okay, so all of these cultures, Teotihuacan, Mayan, Newgrange, all of the all of the primitive and savage cultures that built all those mounds in the woods, that they were all what were they all doing? They were all following the cross. So <laughs> the so the the Cherokee they were following their great buzzard in the sky, which is a big cross. And then they were they were following this, and then they were marking a place in the sky, which is what representative of the cross, because we're talking about the solstices and equinoxes. So they were following a big cross in the sky, and then they were actually marking a big cross in the sky. And then you actually go to the sky, and then what is that cross doing? Metaphorically, poetically, dying and being reborn. This is. Um, so the so the um, the Cherokee called the sun essentially the apportioner or the measurer um, among what may be classified as elemental gods. The principal are fire, water, and the sun, all of which are addressed under figurative names. The sun is called una luna hi, the apportioner, just as our word uh, the moon means measurer originally means the measurer. It's so in other words, they saw the sun as the apportioner or the measurer. And what is the sun doing, just as we say it's doing, just as I've talked about before? Well, the Indians and Aryans alike, having noticed how these great luminaries divide and measure the day and night, summer and winter, with never varying regularity, it never varies. So because there's no varying, because the, if there's a regular, reg, uh, what, is, what is the word, regularity to it, because there's a cycle to it, you can therefore say, oh, that's intelligence. Um, so they were calling the sun the apportioner or the measurer, because what is that sun doing? It's measuring and dividing out the structure of time in which every single one of these cultures, including these guys here, were doing. Watching, measuring, tracking, and mapping God's canopy. Here's the Mayan summer solstice. Same thing. They're following the cross. And then they're saying there's a big serpent you know, it's just like you take up your cross and you, there's a serpent that's on that cross and, you know, John 3, 14, that one kind of thing. So there's there's the serpent and that's Chichen Itza. And we already know that Chichen Itza, that they're actually measuring the cross because that's perspective 96. Perspective 96. We are coming down, I think, in January to Missouri, maybe late January to um, 
come and check out some land in Missouri. So we should have dinner. So thank you, Marty and Amor, for all you do. Here's to the 96 petals of the lotus flower, which will help us see again and guide us on our path back home. Check out the book, The Sacred Valley of the Incas, Myths and Symbols. I should. I should. So there's the Mayans. They were building a structure that works today, that works off the technology of God, if you will, right? And what they were doing was perfectly mapping and tracking the cross. Literally forming a cross. That's what they were doing. That, that is actually a calendar in stone. So not only are they telling us by the actual architecture and how this, the, this literally forms this perfect serpent that comes down, they're actually telling us with the mathematics exactly what they're doing. Mapping and tracking God's canopy. Now there's a big, and ultimately God's design and his purpose. Thank you, Perspective 96. So, um, yeah, so we're going to go see my brother Chase down there too. <laughs> Sorry. So there's a big serpent. Now we see serpents around the world, right? Correct. In fact, we see serpents, not only serpents, but we also see dragons around the world where there's like this sort of this mythical creature, usually got wings flying in the heaven, breathing fire. It's got different attributes, but usually generally the same sort of characteristics. So the Cherokee had the same thing. Of course they did. The most analogous being in the Southeast Indian belief system was a monster formed of the parts of many creatures. Um, the Cherokee called this monster the Yuktena. Its body was like that of a rattlesnake, only much larger. So it's a big ass snake, um, the size of a tree trunk, how big this thing was. It was believed to live on the margins of the known world, in deep pools, near high mountains, etc., etc. Um, the art... Um, uh, let's see what I want to say. Oh, the, Uk the Uktena was not, however, merely an evil creature from which no good thing could come. The Cherokee believed that Uktena had a blazing crest on its forehead, which, if it could be obtained, was the most powerful means of divination. So in other words, think about this. This monster beast serpent thing had a thing on its forehead that if you defeated the serpent, if you could somehow take the thing from on its forehead, this was a powerful means of your divining, in other words. So in other words, there was a beast sort of serpent thing that you had to sort of kill or overcome. And the thing that had on it was the, 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 the gold or whatever of your spiritual pursuit in general. Both in their form and in their role, they played in a larger belief system. The Yuktena and other serpentine monsters resemble both the feathered serpent of the Aztec and the dragon of Eurasia. So there, this is a this is a book on Native American religions, North America. I'm talking specifically about the Cherokee and the Yuktena here, and they're like specifically saying that this serpent is related specifically to the Aztec. Um, feathered serpent, which is Kukulkan or Quetzalcoatl, which is exactly what that serpent is that's coming down from the, the Mayan here. They're saying that's the same thing, and it's also the same thing as the dragon that you find in Eurasia. Well, where did this stuff come from? What is the origin? What is the source? God. That's where it comes from. That's where this comes from. This is That's where this comes from. God. Where does the dragon? We look up in the heavens. And that's where we're looking anyway. That's where they're telling us to look. There's Draco, the serpent, a big dragon in the heavens, as we know. Draco revolves around the pole star. What's right next to Draco? Look just to the left there, you can barely see it. Oh, it's it's the big buzzard. It's the big buzzard in the sky that flapped its wings in the flat earth and brought up the mountains and pushed down the valleys. 
What do you think Jormungandr is in the Norse stuff? In the Norse mythology, Jormungandr is the Midgard serpent or world serpent. Is an unfathomably large sea serpent or worm who dwells in the world sea, encircling the earth. The world sea, like the canopy above? And it's encircling the earth, you mean like Draco the dragon? It biting its own tail as an example of an Ouroboros, which is exactly what we related this serpent to. Just a few more here. The myth of the Cherokees concerned the origin of the Pleiades. So they have, once again, the reason I'm showing you this is all of these other cultures around the world, we're going to see, have, have their stories of their mythologies, of their people, and they relate them directly to what's going on in the stars. Now, culture after culture after culture after culture have done this. Okay, We can see that pretty much when you get into the Native American, that sort of thing, and you look Whoa, what is the Aztec serpent that the Mayans are talking about? Look up. They based all this stuff on the canopy of the stars. So the point I'm making here is that we see this culture doing it, and this culture doing it, and this culture. The entirety of the Native Americans doing this, right? Then we can actually go into other, other cultures across the big ocean, right? And see that they're doing that. And then for some reason, there's a disconnect when it comes to this baby right here. Say, so, well, they're not doing that. We're not relating this to the stars. This is history. And look at the cluster screw we're in today because of it. Myths of the Cherokee. We're going to see that there's a bunch of these, the, a bunch of these star patterns are formulated into the myths of these people. And the same thing is going on in Christianity. The myths of the Cherokee concerns the origin of the Pleiades, for which many cultures worldwide offered an explanation. In the Cherokee version, seven boys performed a spirit dance. So basically, they have a story of these, why there's Pleiades, there's seven stars, but you really only see six of them kind of thing. In the Cherokee version, seven boys performed a spirit dance, and all but one rose into the sky to become the six main stars of that star cluster. Okay, what is this? So now just go across the Shasta and the Chumazi and the Cheyenne and the Blackfeet and the Zuni and the Haida and the Inuit and the Delaware and the Iroquois. All of these cultures have their own unique myths and stories that are their principal to their tradition. And what are they based on? They tell you. They tell you exactly where this stuff comes from. Now, we once again, we have an enormous disconnect to say that's not what's going on in here. So, the Pleiades, brothers in a boat, crying children, coyotes, daughters, people in a boat, raccoons, children. Okay, let's forget about the damn natives, those savages. Let's go to the Greek. What did they say? Oh, the Pleiades, the like seven sisters. Then we go to the, the Egyptians. What did they say? Well, seven cows. Do you see what's happening here? The North Star. All of these cultures had a, had a name for this special star. And they, they based their mythologies around it. The Iroquois, the star that does not move. Why? Because it, in our appearance, it does not move. Uh, the Cree, it's the guide of the people. The Kootenai is the grizzly bear. Why? Well, probably because it's right by, literally, the, the, the great bear, Ursa Major, points to the pole star. Eye of the creator, the sky coyote, the pretty woman, the sky chief, the star on top, the not walking star. Because it doesn't move. Star that does not walk, star that stands still, old woman's grandchild, the North Star. You get the point. Okay, just a few more here, and then we'll, we'll wrap this baby up. Just a quick story here. Thank you all for joining me today. I really appreciate it. 152 watching. That's great. 
Um, thank you all. I really appreciate it. I really do. Uh, it's great that there's people absorbing this. In the beginning of the earth, long ago, this is the another creation part of the creation story, right? I wanted to go into the thunder beings too, but this is already too long. In the beginning of the earth, long ago, there was no fire and it was cold. Then the thunder beings who live in the above world set fire, uh, sent lightning to put fire in a large hollow sycamore tree that grew on an island. Let's stop. In the beginning of the earth, long ago, there was no fire and it was cold. Then the thunder beings who live in the above world, I really wanted to go into that, but it's not enough time. Send lightning to put fire in a large hollow sycamore tree that grew on an island. So there's a big bush or tree that's on fire now. There's a big bush or tree that's on fire. All the animals could see the smoke, but they didn't know how to get to the fire. They all met to decide what to do. So then all these animals that once again are above, they're the metaphysical animals. They're the zootheists, the zootheist animals, right? The zodiac animals. And they've all decided, what are they going to do? So they sent this raven down, and then the raven got too close, and it burned its wings, and so therefore it became black. And then it sent the horned owl down, and I think the horned owl went into the belly of the tree, and then it burnt its eyes, and then it has red eyes. Something like that, right? It's, you know, this is the story. Then they sent the screech owl down, then they sent the hoot owl down, and then they sent the snake owl down, and they, they, couldn't, they couldn't do it. You know, they, there was, you know, so... Um, they couldn't put out the fire or anything like that. So finally, they spent they they sent little whiter. Well, excuse me. Ugh. Finally, they sent little water spider. Said she would do it, and other other animals knew she was fast. But they're like, I doubt you can bring back the fire. I doubt that you can go into that sycamore tree, that burning bush, <laughs> and bring back fire. And she's like, I'll manage. I got this. So the water spider spun her thread into a small bowl on her back, and then crossed the water to the island and its burning tree. And then she, she collected a small piece of coal from the fire, placed it in her basket, and then she crossed back to the other animals, and the earth has had fire ever since. So this is, this, this is a theft of fire story. This is what this is. So there's basically this, um, I'm sorry. Let me go back to that. This theft of fire story. So you hear Prometheus stole fire from the gods and that was chained to the mountain of the stars and had his liver picked out. Liver is on this side. Picked out um, by a bird, a big, like Aquila the bird or like Cygnus the bird was picking out. Anyway, uh, on the mountain of the stars and there's a big bird that was picking out the liver of this Prometheus guy, right? And so he brought fire back to humanity. This is the theft of fire myth. And it's a myth that's found all over the world, like literally all over the world. And you have the exact same myth playing out in Cherokee. What is the theft of fire myth in? And now the theft, um, this this character is sometimes considered a hero for getting the fire and sometimes considered evil for, for getting the fire. It depends on what the culture is, that sort of thing. But you have the same idea. Theft of fire brought it back down to the humans. This either cursed the humans or it was celebration because now they had fire to keep warm. So the Rig Veda, you have a hero, Madis, Madarazban, whatever, um, recovered the fire. Greek mythology, of course, you have Prometheus, um, Azazel, uh, teach early humanity to use tool and fire. Um, the Gregorian uh, myth um, stole the, what is this? Amirani stole fire from the metalsmiths, etc., uh, etc. Et There's a bunch of these. Theft of fire, so Ojibwe, uh, Nabozo, the hare stole fire and gave it to the humans. The Muskegees, the Creeks, the rabbit stole fire from the weasels. The Mazatec legend, Opossum spread fire to humanity. Fire fell from a star. Fell from the heavens. 
Uh, Pacific Northwest, a coyote, beaver, dog. It was, you know, was, was stole a fire and gave it to humans. Algonquin myth, rabbit stole a fire. Cherokee, once again, there's all these. There's a bunch of different stories there with the Cherokee too, like a lot of these. So you have this whole thing of, of the theft of fire. Now it was brought to you by the spider. So it said the spider is said to have first brought fire to the inhabitants of the earth in the basket on her back. Well, look at this. This is the symbol, okay? Watch this. This is the symbol for the... So this is the beginning. This is the creation story. This is the theft of fire. This is the bringing of fire to humanity. Pay attention. Beginning of creation, bringing fire to humanity. This spider thing was doing this. The water spider said that it first brought fire to the inhabitants of the earth, the basket on its back. Look at the, the things around, the little spots around the spider here. There's 17 of them. So, so if you remembered last live stream, the last two live streams, we talked about the number 17 a lot and how it was related directly to the creation of the world. The Vesica Pisces opens up and in, in the opening of that Vesica Pisces, what is that? It's a reference to 153, which is one through 17. So sorry, I know this is a review, but just we talked about the last two live streams, this, the importance of this number. How, where we found it, the, the number of fish that Jesus caught, the, the Vesca Pisces, how the center of the Vesca Pisces relates to this number, etc., etc. And this is the womb of creation. Literally a geometric womb of creation. And here we have the number 17 being displayed. This is the spider that's helping, that's bringing fire back for right, the creatures. And it's related to the number 17. There's 17 dots surrounding that spider. Adding one through 17 is 153. The first thing that you do in sacred geometry, when you draw the Vesca Pisces, you take your compass. I should have just done this. Take your compass, you draw your two circles. The first thing you do after that, the second thing you do generally in sacred geometrical study is you draw two triangles within that within that Vesca Pisces, a triangle pointing up, which is a triangle of fire, and a triangle pointing down, which is a triangle of what? Water. Where did this guy come from? Went over the, right? This, this all started from waters everywhere. Then this spider came out and was like, hey, 17, and then I'm going to bring you fire. Now, any sacred geometrician that knows the relationship of those two numbers would be like, wait a second, 153 and you and you want some fire i know what to draw i know how to draw that geometrically once again looking past all of the exoteric and getting to the heart and the meat of this you'll find the exact same things down to the numbers this also reminds you of neith who is the goddess that, you know, allegedly, like, she was the goddess of cosmos, fate, wisdom, water, rivers, mothers, childbirth, hunting, weaving. She was a weaving goddess, allegedly wove creation together as one of the myths allegedly attached anyway. Uh, also a reference to Isis as well. But weaving and webbing, that sort of thing, where you'll actually find this, the grandmother spider that weaves, weaves the earth together. That's another myth. You see the spider here in the Cherokee. Weaving and, and webbing and that sort of stuff is, is, uh, is a very potent symbolism um, in native cultures. Um, but also like Egyptian, stuff like that. Um, the webbing radiating out from the center like a spider web speaks 
and symbolizes of the interconnectivity, the interconnectedness, the interconnectivity of life itself. And that's really what the web of life references. As it stretches out from the middle, it reaches towards the ultimate, uh, where it all the ultimate where all being and purpose uh, originate. So it's this idea of the spider goes out and makes the web of life, and it's all connected. You know, that's pretty simple, right? Um, and that's the that's the truth. All life is connected. The webbing uh, extends to a circle which is the circle of Cherokee existence as well as the totality of creation. The webbing extends to a circle, just like the dream catcher, right? In which the circle of the Cherokee existence um, is the circle of Cherokee, is the, is the circle of Cherokee existence, excuse me, as well as the totality of creation. So the circle to the Cherokee represents the totality of creation. Well, when we talked about symbolism 101, why do why do we know that the Cherokee didn't need to go to the church fathers or the scientists to determine what the true nature and the symbolism symbolism of the circle is? Because the symbol of the circle, the geometry of the circle naturally has those attributes. So when the Cherokee went to the circle, they're like, huh, geometrically, this encapsulates the most amount of space with the least amount of effort. This must naturally give us the symbolism of the totality of creation. Did they need to go to some special boy, Gnostic preacher, dude, to understand that? No. All they had to do was go to the circle itself. All they had to do was go to nature itself. All they had to do was go to the sun itself. All they had to do was go to the stars themselves and tell and say, what are you there to teach us about? <clears throat> they didn't need to go to St. Irenaeus to find out, hey, does the circle encapsulate the most amount of space, Father Joe? No. They commune directly with God. That's what they did. The golden eagle feather. The feather is that of the golden eagle, which from the Cherokee antiquity was the sacred messenger between the earth and the sky. There's an eagle that they saw that this eagle was the symbol of their, uh, you know, the 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 uh, messenger between the the, the heavens and the, and the earth. They saw this as the a symbol. It's it's like you know, it's like almost we it's like we have that symbol today too. Now, nobody sees that symbol as that. Most people see that symbol. They're like, yeah, see, Zionist, Jewish, there's the Star of David at the top. Or it just means fire and water. And there's Masons, and then it's Eagle, and then 32, 33, evil, evil, evil. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, having too much fun now. So... The, the, so they have they saw the eagle this you know absolutely majestic creature as a symbol of the representation of you know heaven and earth sacred messenger between the metaphysical and the physical realms this eagle the eagle feathers and the eagle wings pay attention is attached to a circle and the attachment is terminated by sacred beads they had sacred beads did you guys know that a lot of a lot of ancient cultures all over the world Buddhists, you know, they have beads. Na tons of native cultures had beads. They, you know, whether it was like a bead necklace or that sort of thing. They had rosaries. They had beads. So, um, and they, even the counting of those beads had a had a, um, a sacred meaning, just as it does in the rosary. No different. So this, so they had this golden eagle that was attached to a circle. And so we have a golden eagle that's attached to a circle. I don't know. You, I mean, I think that we might have seen that before, huh? 
the wings attached to the, the disc, the wing disc, and it's flying up into the heavens, and it's a representation of earth and sky. And it's like that thing is found literally all over the world, like Egyptian, Babylonian, Zoroastrian, you know, you just go all over the world. And you're going to see that the Cherokee, they did something similar. They had a feather disc, wing disc, circle disc, eagle. And then then it says that this thing represents the right way of living, thinking, and acting. This eagle's feather and this eagle represents the Cherokee's right way of living, thinking, and acting. It's, it's representing their principles of morality. Well, we've seen that before, right? The Egyptian feather of Mott, which is literally d- defined as 42 principles of how you're supposed to act on earth here. Your morality, truth, law, justice. It's represented by an eagle, by a feather. And it turns out that the, the Cherokee thought the exact same thing. Now, that feather was put on a scale by a dog-headed dude. Like, a, the, you know, so we were focused on Sirius this whole time about the entrance and exit, the gates to heaven, you know, that sort of thing. The entrance way. And it was dictated by two dogs in a specific place in the sky. Remember... Last time we, or last Sunday, we talked about Christopher, the dog-headed God in Christianity. And not a Christian out there can give any explanation as to what that means. Some people believe that that was actually a dog-headed dude. It was a miracle back in the day. Or, or, it's a theme that helps you connect to all of these other cultures that you want to make a division with. There's a dog-headed God. He's balancing the feather of Mott, which is the feather of law, order, and truth. It's how you live your life. It's, it's did you act the right way and live the right way and think the right way? Well, then we're going to measure that feather to your heart. And if your heart is less than that feather, then you will get into heaven. You will get through that gate. <clears throat> this is all about what? Balance. Correct? When we did the alchemical um, alchemical rebirth chart, the zodiac is the alchemical rebirth chart. What did we find in that? We found Libra. We found Libra. Of course, we found the, the that whole section of the sky there. We found what? Leo the heart. And there was a purification process in the virgin. And then once that, what, what happens? Oh, it's balance. It's Libra. So we have the heart being balanced in purity. Wait a second. That's exactly what the Zodiac is telling us. Actually, you know, and then here we have, it seems to be the same sort of thing. Our heart, purification, scale, balance. What did the what did the Cherokee think about that? Uh, to, uh, to the traditional Cherokee, the concept of balance is central in all aspects of social and ceremonial life. In this belief system, women balance men just as summer balanced winter, plants balanced animal, and farming balanced hunting. So their whole, their whole, uh, you know, outlook and their tradition focused on balance. They underwent baptism too.
Um, rituals. The South Indians acted out their beliefs about the world in rituals at both small and large junctures in their lives. They had, um, you know, um, oh, what's the term? Uh, rites of passage, that sort of stuff. Uh, fire and water, for example, symbolized the opposition of the upper world and the underworld. Fire and water symbolized the opposition of the upper world and the underworld. Immersion in water was a ritual that all Southeast Indians were supposed to perform each day, although some practice it more faithfully than others. Before the newborn baby was allowed to suckle, it was taken to a creek or a spring and dipped into the water. What are they doing? They're baptizing. The Cherokee had a baptism ritual. Well, no, that's a Christian thing. Is back in 2,000 years ago, that's when it, that's when it was... What is the symbolism of dunking somebody underwater? Purification, obviously. What, why do you take a bath? Why do you take a shower? Because you're, you're dirty and you want to clean yourself. What is the symbolism of baptism? Natural symbolism. You dump the baby underwater. You dump the person underwater. There's a, there's a cleansing that happens. That's not stuck in this. That's not just some Christian thing. That's a natural thing, my friends. This, you know. So these guys had baptism as well. For example, fire and water, for example, fire and water represented, symbolized the opposition, the unity of opposites of the upper world and the underworld, the upper world and the underworld. Fire and water symbolized the opposition of the upper world and the underworld. Fire and water is that. This is the fire symbol. This is the water symbol. This is the fire symbol. This is the water symbol. Do you know how you baptize? You baptize with fire and water. Spirit and water. One more and then we're out of here. One last thing. So, the heart in the center, of course, represents the Cherokee motto. This is their motto. Matters of the heart. That was their motto. So, just as the entire civilization of the, e the Egyptians was all focused on what? Work of the heart. Just like we say here. All the numbers and all the information and all the Gnostic stuff. None of that means jack all if you do not have it in your heart. Okay? As we say all the time. Our entire, uh, you know, the entire Gnostic way is not knowledge of like a bunch of stuff up in your head. I've read all these books. It's knowledge of the heart. That's what it is. That's why all these fools that rip on Gnosticism, they don't have heart. Clearly. Because they think that it's special boys that are going, you know, and you guys are not. Okay, we'll see where that leads you. Good luck. The heart in the center, of course, represents the Cherokee motto, matters of the heart. The Cherokee concept of the right way. Just as they were saying with the eagle, this is, this represents, the eagle's feather, this represents the way we're supposed to live. The way, the right way. You mean the Tao? The Tao, the way, is the core and essence of Taoism. Um, it can be described as the idea of the primordial natural law, the natural law on which all of the universe has been given its shape and mechanics. There's a way, there's a fluid, there's a design, there's an order, there's a fluidity to that way. The cultures that actually gained any sort of you know revelation or enlightenment or you know advancement and stuff like that, what they were doing was aligning with the way. This is what Jesus is trying to tell you to do. Jesus' messages, his message in this particular message here, his message, no different than what the Cherokees are saying. 
even brought to you by the exact same cosmology. The Tao, it can be described as the idea of the primordial law, natural law, on which all of the universe has been given its shape and mechanics. Also, this law keeps on ruling how all things in the world behave, how you're supposed to behave. So they had the way. They were following the primordial natural law. They were following the cycles of God's ordination. What he ordained in the heaven, they were following it and they're like, ah, oh, we're going to mark this. Most people that read this, they couldn't even tell you where Cygnus is. They, they probably wouldn't even, they probably couldn't even tell you where Draco is. They want you to defeat the devil and they don't even know, you don't even know where he is. You, can, you, you can't find him in there. You, you're going to find him in here. <clears throat> so I think, I think we might have some similarities here with those savage Cherokee. <laughs> the heart is in the center, of course. Matters of the heart. And what do we have in Christianity? The sacred heart of Jesus. All right. That's going to do it for me. Guys, thank you all so much. I really appreciate all of the support. <sighs> Um, how many we got watching? 163 watching. That's good. Excellent. Heartline Realm with the Fiery Hearts. Karen B. Uh, Gnostic Revelation Mysteries. Thank you so much. He's got some good, he's got some good new videos over there at Gnostic Revelation Mysteries. So go check him out. Gnostic Revelation Mysteries. Mr. Amor, Walking Hug, Russell. So, um, all right. Thank you all. Thank you all. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You guys like that? It was fantastic today. Thank you so much. I was really excited to do this because I was like, yes. There's just like there's so many just just good stuff there. So this is what I will be doing. Um, uh, I have, you know, as you guys know, I, this is this is a church service. This is an academy. I'm here to teach. I'm here to lift spirits. I'm here to inform people. I'm here to give you information that you can verify, that sort of stuff. Um, and I'm not going to be focused on Kanye West and all that other stuff. We're going to keep our eye on the prize. We're going to know what we're doing here, why we're here, and we're going to keep focused on that. And we're not going to let... Did you notice that Alex Jones looks like he ate Alex Jones? Like he's... Anyway. Okay, that's going to do it for me. Thank you all so much for the support. Carrie Musgrave, just crushing it. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate that. Um, if you guys do want to become a member, you can become a member for uh, 14 bucks for three months, 54 for the year. And um, you can also support, there's the donation links. I'm sure Jennifer will put them in the chat and all that sort of stuff. So um, I'm going to play a song for you guys. Is that all right? I'm actually going to play two songs for you if you guys don't mind. And then I'll get out of here. Is that cool? Uh, Lindsay Chapman, thank you so much. Yes, we need rock star sermons, right? Okay, um, I'm gonna play. A, I'm gonna play a, two songs actually. One's from John Moreland called Cherokee. I might get struck for this, but I don't care. It's such a great song. But I'm gonna play a new song quick. If you guys don't mind, if you guys got time, I know we're going late today, but um, I'm gonna play a new song. It's it's kind of cheesy, but I'm gonna play it anyway. So, and then we'll, then we'll be out of here.
Coke up our nose and light and joints on the stove. Hung on the line like freshly washed clothes. You and I had it all, I suppose. You know how this life, well, it comes and it goes. You know how this life comes and goes. You pushed for apartheid and warn you I tried. But you could never go against the tide. And that pharmacia that you put in you. Oh brother, a thousand times I tried to warn you. Oh brother, a thousand times I cried. Driving west with a head full of meth Stupid boys with the devil on our breaths Heads a mess and hearts beating from our chests Towing the line between life and death Well it's times like this That I miss our ignorant bliss In segregation, you found elation Singing your fake virtues aloud You proudly did what all the TV people said And now you're rolling in a big pile of regret, my friend Yeah, you're really rolling in it now, my friend Driving west with a head full of meth Stupid boys with the devil on our breasts Heads a mess and hearts beating from our chests Towing the line between life and death Well, it's times like this That I miss our ignorant lips Stupid boys with the devil on our breasts Heads a mess and hearts beating from our chests Towing the line between life and death Well, it's times like this That I miss our ignorant bliss Thank you very much. That's a uh, brand new song. Um, you've sung this before, right? No, I haven't, actually. So, all right, that's going to do it. Okay, thank you all so much for joining me today. Uh, may you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. All right, next week, I don't know what we're going to do next week, but it'll be good. So I hope you guys enjoyed today. Um, sorry it was so long. I'm trying to keep these 
under two hours, but you know, it's just when you get going, it just is what it is. So, all right, we're going to listen to a song called Cherokee because I, I felt that was pertinent. Well done. Thank you very much. Um, I said two songs. So yes, uh, we're going to play the song Cherokee by John Moreland. I will see you guys next Sunday. If we do get a chance, stop on over to NASICacademy.org and help a brother out and uh, support the work, buy a book, that sort of thing. Um, like I said, new book should be out. I'm hoping by Christmas, um, at least the pre-sale will be uh, before Christmas. And then, um, yeah, we'll do it. All right. Next week, I don't know what we're going to do. I think we might do um, what Truth Seeker asked. He said... Um, he said that he wanted to do, wanted me to do a video explaining maybe like 10, 15 books that I would recommend, and we might do that, and I'll talk a little bit about them. So that might be what we do next week. So, all right, that's going to do it. As always, many blessings and much love to all. All right, this song's called Cherokee. I got a taste for poison I've given up on ever being well And I keep mine in the horizon Digging for lies I've yet to tell And I wish you were here To softly say my name Calm down all the chemicals tearing through my brain I don't think I've missed you this much since I was 17 I call you in the morning, but I think this is a dream Cherokee Cherokee Where you carve those doubts right out of me I see you shining through the treetops But I don't feel you pulling strings anymore I still use your old alarm clock And every morning I get further off the course And don't I hear you speaking And the noises in this house Airplanes flying over, shaking all my secrets out. Darling, tell me something I don't already know. I'm aware of where to find you. It hurts too bad to go to Cherokee. Cherokee, where you carve those doubts right out of
I felt like the world was burning You had stars in your eyes Shining for a feeling That I can't afford to buy But everything you taught me Still rattles in my head I'm staying off of Main Street You're talking to the dead In Cherokee Cherokee I wish you'd carve these doubts right out of